He dwells in eternal night, but the blackness is filled with sounds and scents other men cannot perceive. <laughs> the attorney Matt Murdock is blind. His other senses function with superhuman sharpness. His radar sense guides him over every obstacle. He stalks the streets by night, a red-garbed foe of evil. Stan Lee presents Daredevil, the man without fear. Hit the track, Cole. You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness, is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Boy, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. He can sense it before it happens. He can vanish before you realize he's there. And he's the last person you'd ever expect. Police suspected the vigilante Daredevil was the one to bring the criminals to justice. I don't know why you read that trash. Do you want the truth? Tell me. She's hideous. Excuse me. I just wanted to get your name. Does every guy have to go through all this to find out your name? You should try asking for my number. I've been following that piece you wrote about the kingpin. How do you kill a man without fear? Let the bodies hit them. Give me bullseye. The devil's mine. I have nothing against Evanescence, right? It's cool that there's a new metal band for 13-year-old girls. Right. <laughs> yeah. But my my immortal is an extremely boring song. Bring me to life kind of goes, right? Boy, Bring dude, me to life boy, goes. Boy, do I disagree with you. About which uh, one? About uh my immortal, but we'll get we'll get to it it's later so in the episode. Um, just so everybody understands, this is above the title, <laughs> a movie about <laughs> the state of the 21st century movie star and specifically the career of Colin Farrell, our guide through the last 20, 25 years of this crazy Hollywood machine that we're all obsessed with. Um, the intro I just read to you is from Wait, can issue I 158 okay. of Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, the comic book, the is comic that, line series from Marvel. Is it, was what you were reading, is that that like blurb that Marvel Comics used to have on the front first page and the first panel you know what i'm yeah, talking buddy. about it is That's it, it's buddy. that boy it's yeah. that boilerplate that they used to have they should bring that back that was so much fun yeah this is the um well here i'll just read i'll read this to you too from time to time a truly great new artist will explode upon the marvel scene like a bombshell Ramblin' Roger McKenzie Kinky Klaus Johnson Joe Rosen Gio Rustos Amiable Al Ma- Al Migram and Jim Troubleshooter confidently predict newcomer lanky frank miller is such an artist that's frank miller's first that's the first frank that's the first that's the first first electra appearance too right i'm not a no electra is um wait i i think i have it here Uh, i i I actually i got the frank miller omnibus Connor, introduce our guest, and then we can talk oh. <laughs> about. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have a, a guest with us this week. My good friend Sanish. Um, Sanish, how do you actually pronounce your last name? I don't think I've ever heard you. Oh, Faisal. Uh, Faisal. Yeah, That's... I probably would have said it wrong. Um, but my good friend Sanish, Sanish and I have worked on uh, a few shows together. 
um not doing anything interesting just so everybody yeah. <laughs> gets that not clear right out of the gate <laughs> but thank, filled thank with you guys lots yeah, of welcome. Glad to have movie you. talk yeah. yeah 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 no thank you guys for having me i i hope i provide some level of interesting you know dialogue in this conversation that we're about to have this, you are under is, absolutely no obligation to this do is so. the <laughs> stupidest podcast anyone yeah. has ever recorded buddy gotcha. <laughs> don't, don't sweat it um, um yeah i, I was introduced say... in uh in 168 so 10 issues after that okay is looping back looping back for a second uh fuck jim shooter jim shooter sucks <laughs> uh all my shooters hate jim shooter uh almost ruined marvel not really um just kind of an asshole really recommend connor have you read marvel comics the untold story um the sean howe book from like I... 10 years ago i think yeah, I have. I actually, this is kind of an interesting thing about me. As a kid, I, I really liked Spider-Man because I liked the Spider-Man movies, but I think that was more of a sentimental factor because my best friend um, growing up, his family moved to Chicago like the day after Spider-Man 2 came out in theaters. And that was the last thing we had done together was go see Spider-Man oh, 2 wow. with our dads and with like Aww. another a number of other friends. Sunish, this is funny. His younger sister is in the art department on MAMS. Oh, yeah? Wow. Yeah. Small world. So like we ran into each other and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I haven't seen them in so long. Wow, that's pretty uh, cool. Um, but I always loved Spider-Man for that reason. But I always, as a kid, I, I was... I always thought comics were kind of dumb. Like I liked the way Spider-Man looked, but Batman, I like didn't think anything was more stupid than a man who dressed up like a bat and had a cape and had underpants on the outside of his tights. Oh, Connor um, was... It wasn't until the Nolan movies that I got like <laughs> obsessed with Batman. Um, but when I was in undergrad, I was uh, I was completing dual degrees in undergrad. So I didn't really have any extra time to take classes that I thought was interesting until my very last semester of my fifth year because I actually did a five-year program in undergrad and um, one of my buddies was taking a class called religion and comic books and he asked me to take it with him and that was the one like elective that I was able to take when I was in college and um, ever since then I've been reading comic books pretty regularly have been trying to catch up over the last decade like (laughs) half a century of history um so yeah i picked up the omnibus for frank miller's initial run on daredevil uh pretty interesting um it's to see his it's nice to see his uh what he was working on before he got into batman because you could definitely like draw the parallels between that run of daredevil and his later run on in batman and um also we in that specific class we read born again because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of catholic imagery in that um in that run there's a lot of uh by by the by the point you hit the late 80s there's a lot about matt murdoch's catholicism that comes into play in the comics themselves um which is pretty interesting not so much in this film despite scenes in a church but yeah. <laughs> i want to say just just in case you haven't guessed it this is the daredevil episode gang oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> here i'll run i'll run through I'll run it through is it is interesting quick. just to think that you know daredevil is so obviously pointedly the catholic superhero like that that's his bit even though i think spider-man is canonically catholic as well it depends yeah well he's irish peter's irish so i think stan always just said like well spider-man comes from an irish catholic family 
Yeah. Some uh, of the later ones definitely depict him as being more uh, Jewish. He's um, not Jewish. His name is he's not, Parker. But some of the later runs. Yeah, but everybody in New York is a mix of stuff, you know? There's he's already a cool Jewish superhero, and his name is <laughs> Benjamin J. Grimm. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just like it fluctuates with them. But Daredevil's Catholicism is a part of the character. You yes. can't really change that. Yeah. But That's you could kind of change the way that... um that spider-man it, you you could change the the religious affiliations that other comic book characters have except for superman i think you can't do it with superman because superman is so clearly an immigrant who's passing as a as a wasp i also believe he's canonically episcopalian um before we get into the the michigas of daredevil 2003 uh sanish are, are you a comic book person what's your yeah what's your so- history with the the marvel and all that uh, I would say in terms of comic books, I I got into them as of late, like not too long ago. But I it's like whatever sort of issue I see, I pick up and read. And mm-hmm. it, so it's very mishmash. There's no like linear progression. And so the I rest, think that's the best way to go about it. Honestly, I think I, for me, it's the most fun. I feel like it's yeah. more freeing that way because I already kind of have this sort of structure when it comes to watching films and television shows like with comic books i want to be like a little laid back with it just like ingest it however i can naturally but outside of that i i follow sort of comic books other in other various means so whether it's video games movies television shows or just literally like there are times where i'll just you know a new superhero show is coming i'm like oh i don't know much about this character let me go on youtube and literally watch a three-hour sort of thesis essay on the entire history of uh, Mm. said superhero so that's sort of my sort of lifestyle when it comes to um, you know comic books and superheroes really who are you guys just like overall superheroes who's your mouth should we go through our mouth oh Oh, god yeah okay yeah for me it's like similar to connor like spider-man and batman they're they're up there for me it's just they're in the i don't know it's it's easy for me because especially like Spider-Man's the easiest because like what made him so popular was the fact that he's has a mask and anyone can like put themselves in that position. And for me, like I don't really see as many like brown superheroes that are like really cool in my opinion. And I'm just like, oh, I can be Spider-Man. I grew up thinking I could be Spider-Man just like <laughs> yeah. being that crazy. Um, And then the other two, it's like I never thought much past those two. So I don't know. Circle back to me. Uh, I don't know no, if that's... you guys have your four ready, but uh, let me. Think I, about just, no, I don't. I just. We don't have to. I mean, yeah. I mean, literally, literally, literally off the dome, I would say. And, and this shows you how much of a Marvel, like, make my Marvel guy I am. Uh, Spider-Man, the thing, <laughs> Captain America, Howard the Duck. Those, those are my Doug. boys right That's there. A great one. Oh, um, okay, but just to clarify then, none of us are daredevil people. No, I would say I am. You would say you are. Okay. Yeah, I would say uh, I am. I, okay. I guess I, I, I connect with them because I also grew up, I grew up Catholic. And so yeah. I have a strong Catholic background. And so seeing a lot of that depicted, I'm Same like, here. bro, I, I get hey. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, I... I got into Marvel when I was a kid. Um, and I would say really my my big ones are Spider-Man, obviously, because it's th- the best, right? Spider-Man and X-Men 
really are my two main interests and then a bunch of other Marvel stuff. But Spider-Man and X-Men are the only ones where I have like a fairly comprehensive knowledge of it. Most of my other like fandom when I was a kid, just because this is what you could get really cheap trades of like 20 years ago was 60s and 70s stuff. So I know a lot about the 60s and 70s and I kind of taper off when you get to the 80s, which means I haven't actually read any of the quote unquote good Daredevil stuff uh, because Daredevil doesn't get good until 1980 famously. Um, So my, my knowledge of Daredevil is mostly that it is almost universally for 15 straight years, the worst Marvel book and it i don't is, know if it was if the you, worst but i think they had a great idea and i've and read the writers just had no idea what to do with it i've read almost every single one of those issues leading up basically to frank miller oh really weirdly i have i feel fairly comfortable in saying that in any given month from like 1963 to 1977 the worst single issue that marvel probably put out in any given month had a pretty good shot of being that month's issue of daredevil well i know that Um, they like the way that frank miller ended up on daredevil was they would take people with zero experience and be like let's just throw you on daredevil you have no expectation to turn the character into a fan favorite but you'll learn how to write comic books which which makes sense if you read those books because daredevil and x-men are very interesting because i don't know if you guys know this but X-Men for the first like eight years of its life was a very poorly selling title. Um, and they, it, it was so in fact poorly selling that they canceled X-Men. And then like five years later, someone pitched them on an X-Men reboot. And that's when X-Men becomes X-Men, right? Becomes like the yeah. biggest title in the book. That's, and that's when you also, get... that's also the funny thing is that's how we end up with today with of oh. any comic series has the most convoluted chronology. Yes. And, yes. um because because when you look at spider-man when you look at like a 20-year run of spider-man peter parker ages like three years over that 20-year run and the x-men is interesting because there's clearly different generations of x-men within the x-men run and but when you sync them together when you try to sync it all within one long-standing universe you run into like huge amounts of chronology issues um but part of the reason is this like issue yeah. of rebooting of like repitching characters and stuff like that but but like when we talk about X-Men, when, when people say X-Men is good, they're basically saying X-Men starts with the 1975 reboot. Yeah. Like any, yeah. any adaptation of X-Men into any medium is starting in 1975 and ignoring the 60s stuff. And if you read the 60s stuff, there's some good stuff in there. There's some bad stuff in there. But you can almost immediately realize that this book's going to get canceled because it does feel like every five issues they have completely upended the status quo and they're trying something completely new lineups are shifting tones are shifting they're bouncing all around the country like the thing that's interesting is daredevil's the same way but daredevil just keeps on trucking until finally someone sticks and that's frank miller in 1979 and reinventing this character to be this like catholic ninja who patrols the streets of New York City. Because yeah. that's not who he is before Frank Miller gets his mitts on him. No, he's clearly... He's bad I'm, Spider-Man. I'm not, necessarily sure, I'm not necessarily sure how the character was pitched initially, other than the fact that he's deaf and has heightened senses. Has he's the blind. Other four, he's blind. I mean, Jesus, yeah. he's blind. Sorry, he's blind and has his other senses are heightened. Um, but when you're reading the very early ones, it's clearly... It, he's clearly a mix of Spider-Man and Batman. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you the character was pitched um, to give them another spider. Like and that I was the similarities of the yeah. costume, even point the to similarities, that. the costume, especially the early design before it goes all red when Bill Everett does this like grotesque yellow costume. <laughs> um, but all that is to say my, my like understanding of daredevil and what people like about daredevil is very like big picture conceptual because I just, I, one of these days I will sit down and I will read those Frank Miller comics. And I'm sure they're very, very, I just, um, I, I've never done it. I wouldn't say they're, I, I wouldn't say that they're a necessary read. I think it's more interesting. Yeah. It's more interesting to see what Frank Miller does with the character from the point he's given reign over the series to, to the point where you hit all the, canonic imagery of Electra and Bullseye and all that stuff later in the series. I mean, Bullseye was um, created before Frank Miller took over yes. the series. So he's there. Bullseye is, in fact, I believe originally a Hulk villain. And if I remember Kingpin correctly. A, Kingpin is a Spider-Man Kingpin's villain. A Spider-Man uh, villain. Yeah. And Kingpin, like, is still kind of a Spider-Man villain. He, yeah. he bounces back and forth. Um, it's funny because he's he's like a He's like a secondary Spider-Man villain, but the main Daredevil. Yeah, villain. well, yeah. that's yeah. that's how I feel about Daredevil. That everything is <laughs> secondary to Spider-Man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the Kingpin's Kingpin's a Spider-Man villain. Kingpin's the best. Bullseye is literally like a one, a shitty one-off Hulk villain. Um, Hulk, another <laughs> yeah. character where you can be like, they never really got a hold on what this book should be for long stretches of time. This Truly. is not a comic book podcast. This is a movie podcast. Yes, we were talking about the 2003 film Daredevil, directed by Mark Stephen Johnson, starring Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, uh, also known as Daredevil. Um, Jennifer Garner as Electra Nachios. Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fisk or Kingpin, if you want to call him that. Colin Farrell as Bullseye. John Favreau as Foggy Nelson. And Joe Pantoliano as Ben Urich. Um, Joey Pants. Keith as Jack Murdock, Matt Murdock's dad. Um, Eric Avari as Nicholas Nachio, uh, Ellen Pompeo in literally one scene in the theatrical cut as Karen Page, Derek O'Connor as Father Everett in two scenes maybe, and uh, Paul Ben Victor as Jose Casado. Uh, cameos wow. by Stan Lee, Kevin Smith, Frank Miller. Wow, the disrespect! I know. I know. No. Do you want to do you want to talk about that right off the bat? No, no. I uh, I uh, fuck Joe Casada. Uh, well, actually, maybe not fuck. Mm, I have complicated feelings about Joe Casada. That's not the disrespect. You left somebody out. Who did I leave out? That's so rude. You forgot. I have to pull this character's name. You forgot Frosted Tips Leland Orser. As Wesley oh, Welch. I did. I did. Yes. As wow. <laughs> yeah. Wesley Owen Welch. Wesley Orser, a great actor, looking like an in sync reject in this movie, which is how you know this is like the most 2003 oh, movie ever made. I forgot. I have to say something right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I watched the director's cut last night. So yes. I may get a little lost on what's in the director's That's cut fine. and what's in the theatrical cut. Yeah. I watched the theatrical. I. Sinise, you said you watched the theatrical cut, correct? Yeah. 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 I, I'm in the same boat as Sinise because I, I watched this on HBO Max. I kind of like, I had, admittedly, if I had done my research, I would have course corrected on this. But HBO Max is usually pretty good about having both cuts of a movie. Yeah. Um, so I just assumed because the director's cut is so 
was at least so out there and so accessible. I kind of was just like, oh, this movie's on HBO. They've got to have the director's cut on there. I don't need to track down the Blu-ray. Okay, cool. Uh, this is going to blow your mind because yeah. I. this is how I watched the director's cut. I saw HBO that Max? it was available on Hulu, but through oh. the HBO Max. Oh, um, Christ. Hulu. No. So I don't know. Is it a subscription? Whatever yeah, it is, the like the HBO Max, the HBO Max portal that you can get through Hulu, the director's uh, cut is available, although it's not available on HBO Max itself. So I just did the like seven day trial run that's of insane. HBO Max on Hulu, and that's how I watched it. Yeah. Because I know everyone says the director's cut is better. It's it's undeniably better. Is it's it good? A lot more watchable. It's not different. It's okay. the same movie. Okay. And I think that are there's a cup I there's two scenes that I recognize right off the bat that run differently. The when Matt Murdoch's father is killed, that scene's different. Um okay. I there's another scene later in the film, I can't remember, but it'll come back to me when we start talking about it that's also yeah. different. Before- the rest is just the rest is just added footage that filled yeah. out the rest of the story. It here's the thing, the the director's cut actually sews in through this trial where matt and foggy are representing coolio um, who's been accused of murder um falsely uh it makes it more clear that ken is like the big guy in charge of new york city who's like behind the scenes making all this bad stuff happen where in the theatrical cut um it's a little cloudy on what kingpin's actually doing and how he's connected to all these different things that are happening um yeah yeah. But yeah, most of the bulk of it is just added footage, which I would say it's an it's an extra half an hour of footage. It doesn't feel like an extra half an hour of footage because the stuff that they added is actually kind of interesting and a little bit okay. fun. Um, yeah, because I think you can tell that this movie is cut to ribbons. Yes, like the pacing yeah. in this movie is so fast, but all it, it is it is one of those movies that is so fast it's actually like glacially slow. And you oh. kind of realize that nothing happens in the first half of it. Um, yeah. But also here's like, the other take. Wait, I'll just yeah. I'll say real quick. Here's the other take that I had while watching the director's cut. The individual scenes, like there are takes that just last like a few seconds longer. Okay. And in my opinion, the performances are magnitudes better because okay. they're given wow. like a few seconds in each take to actually play reaction shots and to actually give more than yeah. what's taken in the theatrical cut of the film. Before we get too far into the movie, movie though, this is a Colin Farrell podcast. Even <laughs> yeah. though, even though, even though he's not super in this movie, this is still a Colin Farrell podcast. Uh, so I just wanted to say before I get into the plot synopsis, Sinesh, big picture thoughts. What do you think about Colin Farrell? Oh man, I like okay. to ask our guests this as like a a starter. You know, it's it's very ironic. You know being on this podcast you know specifically talking about Colin Farrell and the movies he's been in I honestly have to say I probably have not seen enough Colin Farrell movies to form an opinion but I will say uh like just from the most recent films I've seen of him Batman um what's what's the one he just did um Banshees yeah I'm just like wow yeah (laughs) I gotta watch more of Colin Farrell movies um so that's my overall opinion. I'm just like, okay, he's got my attention. The first time I've ever seen him in a movie was Daredevil. So it was okay. just like, okay, I don't know much about this guy. I guess he's cool. Then I, you know, I watch the Batman and then I see Banshees and I'm just like, oh, 
I got to watch more. Cause then when Connor told me he, he does this podcast, I'm just like, get me on. Let me, let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. Let me learn more about Con Farrow. So, so hey. yeah, here we are. Honestly, I think part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, even though I think we've both seen a fair number of Colin Farrell movies, is the, the, the same thing you said, where he just had such a good year that at least I was like, I kind of just want to go back and, and tackle the entire body of work. Such a good half a decade, decade, really. Yeah. When yeah. you think about it. In the um, long yeah. But yeah, Daredevil. Any, Connor, Sinise, you got anything you want to say before we get into the plot? Um, when did you guys first interact with this film? Because I saw it on television probably around like 2005 or 2006. I saw this movie in theaters and I have not seen it since because I thought it was <laughs> bad then and I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I'm on the same boat with you, Connor. I probably saw it not i didn't see it in theaters but i probably saw it maybe a, a few years after it came out you know one to two years so sometime then and i've seen it a few times afterwards i definitely like re-watching it like a few days ago it was probably maybe the fifth time i've watched the whole the movie in its entirety i'll say i i was convinced up till this last week that i had never seen the movie in its entirety because the theatrical cut of it is so ripped to shreds um that Considering when you're watching it on TV that there's commercial breaks, you can start partway into the film, you can leave yeah. before the film ends. I have seen it multiple times, and I've seen the whole thing multiple times, but I had been convinced for the last 20 years that I had never seen the movie in its entirety until last week. And I was like, oh, I've seen every single one of these yeah. scenes. I know exactly also, how this movie plays out. It also cannot be stressed enough. Nothing happens in the first half of this movie. Yes. I yeah. was obsessively watching the time codes and marking and like thinking about when plot was actually kicking off in this movie. And I let, let me get into the plot synopsis and then I'll I'll loop back into that. I'll read I'll read a quick blurb too. This is yeah. they do this every once in a while in the in the comics. So this is from issue 171. Um says, when he was but a young boy, Matt Murdock was struck across the eyes and blinded by a unique radioactive isotope. The isotope mutated his nerve centers, amplifying his remaining senses to superhuman levels. And then when gangsters murdered his father, Matt assumed the identity of Daredevil, man without fear, to bring justice to Manhattan's shadowed streets. That's it. But they do yeah. that every once in a while, just yeah. because like you'll have new readers and you're trying to tune them. Yeah, in. <laughs> it's good to get a sense yeah. of who Daredevil is. Uh, brief sidebar before I get into this. Uh, fun fact, listeners. Um, canonically, the uh, ooze that turns the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. Is, <laughs> did you know this, Denise? You knew this, I Connor? Did, I, I didn't yeah, know I this. knew this. In, in, yeah. the first, in the first issue of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book, which is a parody of stuff like Daredevil, which is that's why they're ninjas, because that that book was a parody of like this wave of Marvel comics. In the very first issue, there's a joke that before the like barrel of ooze falls into the sewer and mutates the the turtles, it hits a kid in the face and blinds him. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So I think it's funny too because I, in the in the Ninja Turtles, it's like Splinter is clearly just stick. But as a rat. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's, the same character. that's what I'm saying yeah. is that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a parody of this and of the New Mutants. 
Yeah. And yeah. that has kind of been lost to history as became like a kid's cartoon. Stick um, is not in this movie, but he's played Stick by Karen in, Stamp in Electra. In Electra. Yeah. Yeah. Who played him? Did either of you guys watch the TV show? Yeah, it's yeah. um um oh my god, why can't I remember his name? The guy from uh the the head of the FBI in Sounds of the Lambs. Scott Glenn? Yeah, it's Scott Glenn. Damn, I yeah. should watch that show. Scott yeah. He's good in it. I was re-watching so some of the episodes and um what I realized is like that's definitely a show that it's the first uh the introduction of Marvel on Netflix yes. and to me it suffers from that kind of loss that like the mid in the mid 2000s or the mid 2010s i feel like because of streaming and binge watching and because the streaming services were making their own starting to make their own series we kind of lost a sense of how episodic storytelling is supposed to work Mm -hmm. from episode to episode and i think daredevil while it's a fun show to watch over the course of each episode each individual episode sometimes can get a little bogged down a little slow yeah I agree 100%. I mean, all those, yeah, I feel like the entire Marvel Netflix series kind of suffer that similar sort of fate. I, Sunish, I don't know if you agree, but I think Daredevil is clearly the better of four of them or five of them. Yeah. Yeah. And like Daredevil, Iron Fist, Defenders, uh, Jessica Jones. Am I missing one? Punisher. Punisher's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Punisher. Yeah. But Punisher, it was just much shorter compared to Daredevil's length of three seasons and just overall from like i think daredevil was like 2015 and the last season was 2018 i think or something but yeah Yeah. i agree and the last season is not to get into you know what's happening with daredevil now but i i'm a little confused because the last season is born again like it's the born again storyline but then marvel announced that the new show is going to be the born again storyline so yeah born again again i having having never watched any of those shows my assumption vis-a-vis what they're doing is that there was always like a hierarchy with the MCU and the TV shows, yeah. right? Yeah, Where both yeah. the Netflix shows and the network shows, the ABC shows that they were doing, it really always felt like the shows thought the movies were canon and the movies didn't think the shows were canon. I would yeah. agree. And, and there, there is yeah. a respect, which is partly because Kevin Feige had very little actual artistic control over either of those two silos, but compare how the movies talked about those shows vis-a-vis how the movies talk about the Disney plus shows. I honestly think this new daredevil thing that they're doing with Charlie Cox and the reason why they aren't bringing anyone else over, it's just a reboot, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not going to, and that's going to piss people off. I think they've already announced or they've already said they've already said publicly that it's not um does not take place within the same universe as the yeah. cinematic marvel movies Which as the theatrical marvel movies take that's place a in. very yeah it is I, um, I don't have an issue with that it's just to me it's like dark phoenix all over again it's like we're just sure. gonna keep doing dark phoenix until somebody sure gets it right. why not although i, I do think they get it right in, in season i like the the netflix daredevil yeah yeah that's really <laughs> people good. like you it. saw the people one like you saw the 2018 one I've never seen that one. I don't plan on watching it. The, the Dark the, Phoenix movie? The one, the later one. Yeah. Uh, that, that movie actually should be studied by people. It's one it of the more Simon interesting. Yeah, directed it's it, right? one of the yeah. more interesting superhero movies to ever be made. If you wanted to show someone what is wrong with like 
contemporary blockbuster filmmaking, that reshot mess of a movie is like our Dr. Doolittle. The other <laughs> thing that's interesting about that movie. Okay, I'm the, still, I'm more, I'm less likely to watch it now with you saying that. <laughs> it's also like under two hours long. Um, that doesn't matter to me at all. <laughs> I have no the desire thing, to the watch thing it. About, the thing about that movie is interesting is the official, the official line on that movie is that everyone's contracts ended in an apocalypse, but Simon Kinberg ghost directed apocalypse and they all had so much fun working with him that they all agreed to make one more movie. But if you watch dark Phoenix, every single performance of that movie has the unmistakable quality of someone being held at gunpoint and forced <laughs> to, to recite lines. That's also the one where Jennifer Lawrence says we should have called him the ex women. Uh, Oh, she says that in the movie? She says that in the movie. It's like the bad Jesus. girl boss. That movie, that movie's just really interesting because it was supposed to be about the scrolls. And then they found out like at the last second that Captain Marvel was about the scrolls. So they had to reshoot the entire thing. Anyway, Daredevil. God, I don't want to talk about this movie. It's so boring, no, I, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I think it's a I think there's a lot to get into. Um, so yeah. Try to recap well, it. Do your best shot. Oh, uh, uh, it's this. There's so much happens in this movie. Okay, let's go. Plot of Daredevil. Like Connor said, Ben Affleck plays Matt Murdock, who is blinded as a child, but granted superhuman senses that basically means he sees extra well. Uh, he by day he works as a lawyer in Hell's Kitchen defending people we're getting into it by night he is the mass vigilante daredevil who roams the streets and kills brutally uh criminals uh one day matt meets a martial artist named electra and falls for her unbeknownst to him her father is the right hand man of wilson fisk the secret crime boss kingpin who rules crime in new york city electra's father wants to get out of the business so kingpin hires the irish assassin bullseye to murder her father he does so after a scuffle with daredevil and frames daredevil for the murder um, Electra then swears vengeance on Daredevil, trains to Evanescence, and attacks Daredevil in the night. Uh, she beats him in the fight and stabs him before killing him, realizes that it is her love, Matt Murdock. She is then attacked and killed by Bullseye. Uh, Daredevil then regains his strength, fights and overcomes Bullseye, but not before learning that the Kingpin is actually behind everything and also killed Daredevil's father. He then attacks the Kingpin in his penthouse, beats the Kingpin, decides not to kill him, and decides to recommit to a life of superheroism. And also there's... He is the good guy. He is the guardian devil. And also there is a sequel hook that indicates that Electra may still be alive and that Bullseye will be coming for him. Did I miss anything important? No, that's everything. I, honestly, I don't think you miss like... anything that's unimportant. <laughs> I know. Okay, so this is my point, though. Sidebar. When I said nothing happens in the first half of the movie, he meets Electra 30 minutes into that movie. That was the second sentence of my plot synopsis. Yeah. Bullseye shows up and kills her dad and actually kickstarts the plot 50 minutes into the 105 minute movie. That was the fourth sentence of my plot synopsis. The first half of this movie is just wheel spinning. It's so annoying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it. This is the beginning of like every superhero movie needs an elongated origin story to explain. Um, yeah. To explain the character's powers and why. I think. 
I think that superhero movies around this point in time, which you obviously have the um, Christopher Reeve Superman in the 70s, and you have the run of Batman starting in the 80s throughout the 90s. <laughs> the the Reeve Superman. Superman, or, Superman yeah. 1 is a perfect movie. Superman 2 is also pretty great. Superman 2 is the a Donner mess, cut. The Donner Cut. I've the never Donner seen cut the Donner Cut. Superman yeah. Um, and Batman. I mean, 1989 Batman is also pretty great piece of shit oh. awful movie you don't but, like it um, when he's yelling you want to get nuts let's get no, nuts i i can't stand that movie returns rules and then we've talked about the schumachers returns is the but no we we're not going to talk about batman because we're we about to talk, talk about, about batman a year batman. from now like well for this is what hours. i have to say about batman is this movie wants to be tim burton's batman it begins with bat imagery flying out of yeah, like, like yeah, this so movie weird. steals a lot and not in the way you would think, it but does. it steals a lot tonally from the 1989 Batman. But what I, what I, so in the 1989 Batman, you have the flashback of the yes. Waynes getting murdered in this one, the entire beginning of the movie is a flashback. Yeah. It's such a, but it's not, not even, even the beginning of the movie. Long. The first two, three four quarters of the movie is flashback. Basically, well, yeah, te- yeah. well, technically, yeah. yeah. So I had forgotten that this movie has a fairly, I think, rare for superhero movies, but I think common for action movies of the era, like in media res start. Like yeah, this I mean, movie starts with an injured daredevil seeking refuge in a church in what we find out eventually is basically right before the bullseye fight, right after Lecture has died. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I forgot that that was the, the frame, right? So when this movie starts with Daredevil, and I haven't seen this in 20 years, right? We just passed the 20 year anniversary of this movie. I was like, oh, right. I, for a second, I thought, like, oh, does this movie dispense with the origin story and, like, kind of just get right down to business? I couldn't remember the structure of it. And then when I realized, Boy, how like, did you oh, forget? The little kid skating down because the Because I haven't <laughs> seen it in two decades. So uh, no, but this was a common thing that I there's a a lot of the criticism of this film, they actually mention that as like the ultimate detractor, that it's this elongated flashback. So there are so many action movies from that. Mission Impossible 3 does that as well. A movie we talked about um yeah. a little bit kind of it's recently. the most interesting part yeah. of Mission Impossible 3. And I mean there's others, just yeah. not a lot coming to mind right now. But it's not it's not an uncommon thing that happens in cinema. Uh, a lot of reviews, I was kind of struck they were acting like these idiots. Why would they ever attempt to do that in a film like this? It's like there are other well, issues. There are other issues you should be talking about, other than the fact that it begins at the yeah. end of the film and flashes back. You're also like you're coming off the one-two punch of X-Men and Spider-Man, which yes. are so propulsive. Yes. That like a movie that gets mired in flashbacks within flashbacks is gonna gonna like tick critics off because we we gotta remember and I know Sanish, how old are you? Uh I just turned 27. Okay. You, you guys are just a smoosh older than me, and I think this is an important window of time to be there. Like for, for when we're talking about 2003, there there was such a sense back then of like, oh my god, superhero movies are good now. That I yeah. think people were ready to have their knives out for something that felt more like Spawn. And I think even Blade yeah. seems very dated now, but at the time. Well, bl- yes. Yeah. Blade felt propulsive. Yeah, definitely a stepping yeah. stone. Yeah. So 
Sinise, you you chose this one, and I know you said you'd seen it like five times. Yeah, uh, I really hope I'm not just going to be dunking on a movie you like. No, no, not at uh, all. Why why'd you why'd you pick this one? <laughs> uh, I guess it was this uh, combination of like a, a few factors. It's like okay, I want to learn more about Colin Farrell. I, I just mm-hmm. recently saw you know Batman and Banshees, and I'm like okay, let's talk more about his other other pieces of work. And then when Connor mentioned, <laughs> excuse me. The podcast i was like okay what movie have i seen with colin farrell in it yeah. and it, it tied into the only one really being daredevil and it was like all right you know i i'm not a big fan of daredevil but i do okay. have an affinity to marvel superheroes and marvel comics so i was like all right this is a great combination maybe i can contribute to this conversation so that sort of leads me to why i'm here today also, yeah, Sanisha and I have talked about like comic book storytelling and video game storytelling before. Yeah. And yeah. we were at a birthday party and I was passing the Colin Farrell filmography around. And Sanisha was like, okay, <laughs> okay, I'll take that one. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this yeah. if we're gonna talk about comic books and video games, I want I want a brief question to, yeah. to, to float to you two. Did have you guys you guys played the Arkham games, I'm assuming? Yeah. 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 Do, do you guys think that like the CGI New York? that exists in like the background spaces in this movie. Do we think it's an inspiration for the Arkham city design? Because there's so many shots when he's on rooftops. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially I think with the church and stuff. I actually think, I actually think the Schumacher films are more. You think the Schumacher films are more? I got a, I got an Arkham-y vibe from this one. I can't lie. I, I, I see what you're talking about. I just think that, the Arkham design is so specifically gothic in a I way. That, in a way, okay. So those those are gothic, and this sure. is goth. Yeah, you get what I, I'm saying. I think, fair, I think tonally, fair, fair, yeah. Tonally, like the way the just the aesthetic overall is similar, but in terms of like the actual artistic design of what you see in the Arkham games and how the buildings are designed, I think they purely stem that from like the the Batman yeah. comic books and the older yeah. films. I, I, guess, I do find I guess it. Um, you could go cool. Oh, I, I guess I'm just thinking about the way the city like unfolds in the background in a lot of these shots, and it's so cartoony. Um, and yeah. and there and there can be so many dis, discongruous elements. I remember seeing that and being like, I do wonder if Rocksteady kind of looked to this this skyline in a way, not like the individual building designs, but just that sense of the 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 weird incongruous skyline. I do understand what you mean yeah. in the way that it's layered in the way that the tall skyscrapers loom over the smaller yeah. buildings. Because that's that, not what real New York looks like. Yeah, especially no. that scene when he's on the rooftop with Electra and he's like, yeah. this was my favorite site of New York. Oh, City yeah. I'm like, what am I looking yeah. at? That's such a weird, like, they're just looking at movies. They're just looking at skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. They're looking at Hudson Yards before Hudson Yards exists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This movie oh, isn't even that hideous. It's just that the CGI is... Yeah. It's the CGI bad. is pretty awful. It's yeah. so bad, and it just sticks yeah. out in the sore thumb. In a movie that, like, has an aesthetic to it, it's not the best aesthetic, but it's making yeah. choices. It's not just trying to look like Burton or X-Men, even if I think it's trying to do an updated Burton for the Malgoth era. Um well, what I, what I find interesting is that Spider-Man gets the feel of New York so down back, down packed to like that entire, the entire texture of that feel like yeah. in downtown, like in the villages. I just feel like with this movie, they don't commit 
to sort of the vision that they're going with in terms of because yeah. the whole concept is like when, when I watched it when I was younger I was like oh man I don't want to go to Hell's Kitchen <laughs> yeah. and little Famous did I know like, real neighborhood Hell's little Kitchen. did I know like Hell's Kitchen yeah is real and it's also not that large of a neighborhood in Manhattan one borough in New York City no and, which makes sense that like a guy with a grappling hook could get where he needs to go really fast yeah. Yeah. But it, they just make it such a larger than life neighborhood and larger than life character that, you know, parts of the film feels like, oh, this is New York City. He must have left Hell's Kitchen during the daytime. But like and then at night, he's like, oh, he's returning to Hell's Kitchen. And that's what sort of the vibes I got when I was younger that it just kind of threw me off. I'm like, all right, is he in Hell's Kitchen now or is this not Hell's Kitchen? It, it, that's what always kind of threw me off with them. The, the 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 problem this movie raises vis-a-vis that Tanish is h- how much territory does the kingpin have locked down, right? Like, yeah, what does exactly. he run? Where are they going to these charity galas? I mean, th- this movie doesn't like actually make sense in a world building sense. And this, I want to get into this because this is my big hang up watching it this time. What the fuck kind of lawyer is Matt Murdock? <laughs> yeah, the opening. Okay. So the opening uh, case with the Jose Casada, who we'll get to do is well, we'll just say it right now is named after Joe Casada, who was the artist on the Kevin Smith run that and a lot of the imagery is pulled from, in, and very big up there in the Marvel in two thousand and three. Either is or about to become editor in chief. I think he is company. by. He is. I, yeah. So he's not. He's not when the film is greenlit. I'm pretty sure, but he is by the time that the film is released. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so in, in the first scene, you see Matt as a lawyer. He is, it appears like, I, I don't know what, this is my, I don't know what he's doing. It must be a civil case. It's the only to be option. a civil case. Yeah. So Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock in the comics is a defense attorney. Yes. And, mm-hmm, and yeah. often the, the gag of Matt Murdock, especially in the early days, is that he will bust a supervillain as daredevil and then turn around and act as their lawyer uh as matt murdoch because that's how much he believes in the sense of justice um more more often than not when they really start to get the character down when it turns into so like the brian michael bendis run there's a few procedural aspects to it it's more often than not it's him defending other superheroes who have been um acute like one storyline is a, a like a a superhero that comes out of retirement in the bronx and he stops um he he attempts to stop a robbery but one of the robbers shoots a police officer before they escape and then that superhero gets accused of murder and matt murdoch steps yeah. in to defend him um more often and, than not that's what happened but yeah you're right in the early in the initial messy daredevil run yeah he'll defend the supervillains that he is yeah, which is a fun- daredevil a fun gag and his partner foggy throughout this movie keeps being like we gotta take on rich clients which implicitly is we gotta take on corrupt and criminal and mob clients and defend them because that's where the money is and and matt doesn't want to do that because he's got morals which is so boring but then in the one trial scene you see in the theatrical cut right He's yes. taking this guy to task and trying to get, like, prove that this guy raped a woman, which is not what a defense attorney does. So is he just a civil lawyer who refuses to do any sort of ambulance chasing and, like, 
but 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 then why are they trying to get clients like that sort of person runs yeah. a nonprofit they have their they should be swarmed with stuff. He wouldn't have time to be Daredevil. It it doesn't make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is we've just spent more time thinking about it than Mark Stephen Johnson did. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah. He wants in the director's him. cut in the Coolio yeah. trial, it is like there is a process like a DA or an ADA. Then, and he, there's a prosecutor. And <laughs> so it doesn't it really doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, this movie's just and part of it is I think because they chopped 30 minutes out of it to try to they fucking swing shifted it. They tried to make to, to capitalize on what they I think thought was gonna be a real life love story. Can I tell this, you something that the um this is where the director's Jared cut start. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you something about the director's cut that I think is like the coolest thing that the movie did, but then they cut it out of the movie completely. So one of my favorite aspects, the coolest thing, (laughs) the the coolest thing. Yeah, one of my favorite parts about Daredevil is that he can tell if um, other people are lying because he can hear their heartbeat, Uh so he can hear when the heart skips if they're telling a lie. And um, so the first thing he does is ask Coolio, "Are you innocent?" Coolio says yes, and he's telling the truth. Then when they're on the stand, there's a police officer who very clearly planted the murder weapon in Coolio's hand while Coolio, who's just like kind of a drug addict, although they keep saying he was passed out from he was passed out in like an alleyway because he smoked too much weed, which is also like I'm not a pothead, but like I know people who smoke a lot and they're not (laughs) passing out in alleyways in Hell's Kitchen. Um, Regardless, like the cop who's saying that he found the murder weapon in Coolio's hand, uh, his heartbeat is steady. Um, So Matt Murdock's very confused because he doesn't know who's lying. And then it turns out that the cop has a pacemaker and that's why his heartbeat is steady. And I was like, that's a really cool, that's a really cool twist on what's going on here. They cut it completely out of the movie. (laughs) I don't even think the cop appears in the movie. That's kind of what you want out of Daredevil, right? You want this sort of engaged, this, this sort of engagement of both sides of the man are pursuing the same goal of justice in different aspects. He, he could not be a lawyer in this movie, and it wouldn't actually make any difference to yeah, the narrative of the movie. Yeah, it's it's vestigial. It's a it's a detail from the books. I don't think it. Yeah, it doesn't contribute anything at all, and it also. By by cutting all of these scenes and essentially story arcs out of the movie, it makes everything that's left in the movie unnecessary. Like Foggy is completely yeah. unnecessary. There's no Foggy, reason for him to be there. Yeah. You do, I I texted a friend of mine while I was watching this, and I was like, God, we needed Iron Man so bad. <laughs> um, yeah. But I will say this movie, you do see a lot of the sins of the MCU in this movie. In that there's just a bunch of stuff that they're putting in the movie that they're just going to implicitly actually deal with next time. Right. Like not, not so much the sequel hook of bullseyes coming back, but all the foggy and Karen stuff that they're in there because they're in the comics. And there's just a sense of like, well, when we make the sequel, then we'll actually give these two more to do. But you never know you're going to get the sequel. And, like, say what you will about the first X-Men movie. None of that's in there. The first X-Men movie is, like, we have four of them. They're going to kick some ass. It's going to be a good time. Right? Yeah, pretty much. I love – I know I know. Brian Singer is a bad person. Allegedly a bad person. Uh, and allegedly very litigious. Um, but the first X-Men <laughs> movie is so fucking good, guys. How do we refer to Brian Singer? Should we – 
allegedly a bad person. No, should but... we should we refer to him as like um Ryan Yodler or something like that? Sure. Forward? Like our Lisa Valentina. Yes, yeah, I <laughs> forgot about that. Um so Colin, Colin Farrell's in this movie. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. He plays... I'll give you my take. I'll give you my take right here. Give you my take. This is the movie where I'm watching in chronology and I'm like, Colin Farrell's a fucking movie star. Damn yeah. right he is. You're a... <laughs> See, no, this this is the movie where I'm watching in chronology. I'm like, oh right, Colin Farrell's a weird little freak. Yes, but also yeah. I think the best part of this movie. Oh, un- yeah, like, undeniably yeah, the best part of this movie. Yeah. But I also am a little down on it just because, and we're not going to talk about it, that I have seen the Batman. Yeah. And I do know that he can do a better version of this. Right. Yeah. But I mean, just to see him, and I, I was wondering about this a lot. I, part of it is they just let him be Irish. So yes. he's not necessarily attempting to facade his own um, starting point as much as he does with other characters. And I think he's just clearly having so much fun that yeah. the other actors don't. Well, they're not really given a chance to have, but you don't often t- you don't often see actors have this much fun in any movie ever. I mean, never really. Yeah, he is given so little to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like on the page, that's nothing. He has he has like just the right enough amount of dialogue where you're aware that he doesn't have much dialogue, but it's not like an Arnie and the Terminator thing where he's pointedly like only speaking when he has to. It's, it's in this awkward mid period here, but like every, every movie we've talked about con good or bad flashy or internal, right? All these performances are of a piece with each other. They are handsome, charming, you know, hold the screen, leading man stuff. Yeah. But Colin Farrell is also the guy who's going to do the Martin McDonough movies and do horrible bosses and like (laughs) be very silly, right? Like I think that in so many ways when we talk about the Colin Farrell comeback is this discovery that Colin Farrell is like a silly little weirdo when he wants to be. (laughs) And that also manifests in like the Yorgos movies, right? Yeah. That he's just such a goofball in those things. And this is it, that you see it and he's like, oh, he has given nothing to do. So he's going to make a meal out of every single line of dialogue. You know, in interviews, he refers to acting as play acting, at least at this point of time. (laughs) Like every interview we've watched with him up to this point, he refers to as play acting. And this one, I can really see just like a guy doing like a piece of theater with his friends. Have either of you guys seen the new John Wick yet? Oh No, no but yet. it just came out. Did you yeah. see it already? Yeah, of course I, I did. <laughs> of course I did. What are you talking you about? I've been working 12 hour days, man. How am I going <laughs> to watch John Wick? <laughs> I, I, I took one day off. <laughs> wow. I put that in months ago. Is it as good as I hear it is? No. Um, no, but I've also been really sick and tired. I should watch it again. I'm, I'm a little down. I'm a little soft. How long is it? Book. How long is the theatrical uh, cut? Uh, three hours long, buddy. Oh, oh wow. wow. 169 minutes. Um, but okay, but it, 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 it doesn't even need to be John Wick 4. Fishburne in the John Wick movies. How every line, it feels like he's attacking each word 
independently. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you know that sense I get that he's like, I'm going to hit a different age word with a completely different tone and interpretation. Colin is doing the same thing with this like measly dialogue he's given where he's growling and screaming and literally chewing on the words sometimes. And you can just tell he's having so much fun. I actually yeah. wonder, despite me not enjoying the Pacino performance in Recruit as much, if he learned part of this from Pacino. It's very, this is a very Pacino yeah. performance. Because this is what Pacino's, Pacino's the best good at. It. In the Recruit. It's it's literally, this this style of acting is literally what Pacino's better than everybody else in the world at doing. I said, when we talked about Phone Booth, that like, this is around the time that I'm just aware that Colin Farrell is a movie star. And, and and famous, even though I had seen Minority Report, this is the movie where I first noticed Colin Farrell. Because how can you not, right? Yeah. Especially in a movie that's like flat. But also just think about any other actor, especially the other ones that we have seen. Like imagine like Matthew Davis trying to do this or Gabriel Mock or just, you know, like any other actor 99% of the other actors that they could have cast to do this part in the movie, everybody would have walked away and would have said, Oh, bullseye is the worst part of this movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. similarly, there's... not, not to just drag them through the mud, but like similarly to the way that people walked away from Spider-Man three, which isn't a great film and just only talk shit about venom, not being good in the movie. Like, yeah. especially with the changes that they made to bullseye, the character that's that's stray away from how he is in the comics. Yeah. Nobody walks away from daredevil being like bullseye is the reason that this movie's bad. Oh, everybody okay. talks about other reasons why the movie's bad, but in a different universe where they would have cast a different actor, everybody would have pointed to bullseye as being the reason that the movie's bad. You, like, know, you get what I'm saying? We Does needed more bullseye. Honestly. You, need, you honestly need more bullseye. Um, I, I will say, though, that I do think that that is partially because the rest of this movie is so dull um, that if the movie is livelier, uh, maybe people think Colin's being silly. Well, I think I think this version of the Bullseye character is the thing that if it was anybody else other than Colin Farrell, it's the yeah. thing that people would have gravitated to and like held on to as being the reason why the movie is bad. Like Because the, the costume's horrible. It's horrible and <laughs> and everything he's asked to ask to do is just so insane. Um, but but he pulls it he pulls it off though is what I'm saying. Yeah, he pulls it off and bullseye's great and every other part of the movie is yeah. bad. I but yeah. that's it. I don't know if he's being asked to do insane stuff. I think he's doing insane stuff. Yeah, do you get what I'm saying? I, I think. A lot of the yeah. like eccentricities of the performance, the the growling, the flailing. He, um, he, he reminds me of literally like rewatching this movie now. He literally reminds me of like the preamble of a UFC fighter. He literally reminds me of <laughs> Conor McGregor and yeah. like Conor yeah. McGregor, you know, not even parallels to the whole Irish, uh, concept, uh, you know, uh, ties as well. Like Conor McGregor is not the best like UFC fighter by far, but he gives this sort of theatrics and he's crazy. And it's like, I want to watch Conor McGregor fight. He's probably going to get destroyed, but like, I want to, you know, and literally bullseye in this movie just reminds me of this eccentric UFC fighter. You want to see more. He's probably not that good, but like, man, like I'll pay money to see him in the next fight. And it just kind of sucks. Cause you, you just want more of him. I feel like there was a slip up with the concept of this duality to Daredevil, but you never see Bullseye in sort of Matt Murdock's life. 
you just see him in the daredevil aspect and you yeah. see wilson fisk in both you know matt and daredevil's lives and it's just like man i don't care give me more daredevil give me more conor mcgregor you know yeah uh, no i i i think i think you're spot on i mean i think if you bring bullseye into the movie earlier you get more bullseye which you're, which you're right i think and you get that integration, which I think you're very astute for pointing out. But you also just give the first half of the movie more shit to do. Yeah. Um, I think they think they're wetting our appetites for Daredevil 2. Yeah. I do too. Exactly. And um, like another yeah. quick sidebar, like the only sort of ties that they get together when they're like, oh, these guys are kind of similar is when Bullseye goes into the church and he literally, like, he does say something like he doesn't want to, like, disgrace the father. He, like, spares the father. I think he says really that was wa- a courtesy. Yeah, know. exactly. In this yeah. place of worship. So they're both obviously, you know, some sort of Irish Catholic sort of, you know, you know similarities. And for some reason, that stuck out the most to me because I'm like, cool, these guys are, like, the title card matchup in a UFC main event. But, like, they kind of just stray away from that entirely aside from that one line, you know? Your Conor McGregor call-out is spot. Yeah. I can I see mean, this version of Bullseye doing the, I want to take this opportunity to apologize <laughs> yeah. to absolutely fucking nobody. Yeah, exactly. And also, why does he live in Ireland? That doesn't make sense. I don't think he does. I think he, he lives in does, England. He does. Okay, fine. Yeah. Same difference. Why the fuck does he live in England and not New York? I think it's just because he's because this version of Bullseye is Irish. They're yeah. Irish. Murdoch, Matt Murdoch, <laughs> the Irish live in New York, buddy. Um, but no, no, think, no, no, no. Like he's, I, he's. Wait, what are we talking about here? The, the, but this, this is my point. That Daredevil, uh, that Bullseye doesn't live in New York. Yes. Why does this bother you? That didn't bother. This me is why this bothers me. No, this is why this bothers me. Um, because. Electra's dad, who's played by the great Indian actor, and I just lost his name. Hold on. The great Indian actor, Eric Avari, who is, when they shoot this movie, he's like 50. That dude has an old face. Uh, I think we're supposed to read him as someone in his 60s. He is like, I'm an old fuddy-duddy businessman mobster. I want to get out of the game. And Kingpin's and Kingpin's response is, yeah. Let's import an extremely high quality assassin from England. That's what they do, though. That's what the mob actually like. That's what the Italian mafia did. They would like bring guys from Sicily to America to kill people and then send them back to Sicily. Maybe. I think. No, that's like an actual okay, thing that the okay. mafia did. Yeah. All like right, in the 70s all right, and 80s. All right. Yeah. Rescinded. It seems foolish to me. Um. But I I don't know. I think if you just say, maybe I'm wrong that this feels weird, but if you just say that Bullseye just fucking lives in New York, then he gets to be more in the movie. But then you don't get to see him kill that lady on the plane. (laughs) plane. Which is so... Every time he killed someone in this movie, as when I watched this as a kid, it like deeply disturbed me. And it (laughs) does, in fact, still disturb me now. It's so grotesque. He takes so Um, much joy out of it. It's just the, the the fact that it's all just like ordinary household objects yeah. that he's like throwing into people's throats. Yeah. And, and it's so much more affecting than what's supposed to be the money shot, which is him throwing the baton. 
the CGI baton through Erica Vox. Oh, that's yeah. his like worst kill in the movie. It's, it's his like, worst <laughs> kill. His like, best okay. kill is Electra. That's because he gets it with the card the, on the yeah. neck. Yeah, it's so nasty though. And it's then he so jams the sigh all the way through yes. her and picks her up in the air. Yeah. Which is which is the famous panel. Yeah, his, his um, kills with non-lethal weapons are the best because that's the most shock appeal. And it's yeah. just like, oh, cool. What more can he do? I'm Let obsessed. I'm obsessed with the idea that here's this guy whose greatest talent is to throw things really hard, but he lives in a part of the world where there's no baseball. So he has to he <laughs> so has to become a hitman because he has which, nothing else which to is do. Funny. I mean he <laughs> is a baseball player in the comics yeah that's his yeah. like one yeah. of his origin stories that's how he gets his one of his first oh the first kill he yeah. kills I believe, i've never the batter. i've never that's what they do in the show in the it's, netflix show i yeah. i don't know if that's how i don't know what his origin in the comics in, is uh, he is a, in yeah. in the in the issue of the hulk where he first appears he is an evil baseball player turned assassin that's so funny because yeah. it was 1972 yeah. Um. Yeah, man. God. Another he, reason he is insane was... in the Miller run because in the Miller he's run, he's insane in the beginning, from the beginning. In the yeah, beginning of it, crazy. he has a brain tumor. Well, in the beginning of it, Daredevil like there's a moment where he's gonna shoot Daredevil, and Daredevil just starts taunting him like, "I'm the devil. You can't kill the devil." And then he gets too scared and he drops the gun and like starts cowering. And then they had to think of a reason. I guess fans didn't like that he did that, so they had to think of a reason why he did that. So they explained he has a brain tumor and that's affecting him. And then they removed the brain tumor, but he still has these horrible headaches and he's just a crazy person because of it. And that's what a lot of this I think is drawing from. Is this the superhero movie? that is the most direct adaptation of a comic book mm. because most superhero movies aren't actually no i think spider-man 2 um the spider-man no more see that's line. that's my thing yeah i haven't read born again or any of the, the miller stuff um so i can't really speak to it well electra like, is like his girlfriend from college yeah in the comic books and i'm talking about a... narratively narrative like big picture narrative stuff because even the spider-man no more stuff in spider-man 2 is like an accent in in that movie yeah they're not yeah. actually taking that much it's only like five minutes i don't know it's it's real to me it's it's really hard to say yeah. Um, this is the briefest of windows. I guess you could maybe say Dark Knight. Uh, of, but which, which, long, long Halloween, long Halloween. I think that the new, I think the new Batman is more an adaptation of the long Halloween. Maybe. Dark Knight. Um, I think, I actually, I'll say, okay, so Batman Begins and Batman Year Zero or Batman, is that year what it is? Batman Year One. Yeah. Year. Yeah. I that might be close. This is yeah, the brief that. window. This. Spider-Man 2 and those first two Nolan movies are like the, the, the only real window and X-Men The Last Stand and X2 to a smoosh. It's the only real window though where superhero movies are actually trying to directly adapt the comics instead of just doing their own shit. Because the MCU yeah. is almost entirely we're doing our own shit. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, they're proud of that too. It's like they're proud universe. of it. Because it's like I get it, they have, have their have own established sense. Earth or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. in the universe. Yeah. You have to make sense of decades of uh, canonic storytelling. Yeah. And you also have to do it in a way where you want to surprise fans and not just give them the same thing that they've already interacted with on the page. MC, the, MC, the, the, the new trick, the MCU trick is to like basically take a big picture story and like adapt the biggest possible picture version of it 
Yes, yes. That there is. They did that with Civil War. They did that with the Infinity Saga. Uh, it's also the MCU. WandaVision. Yeah. The other MCU trick is to basically m- maximize every single character that you know you're not going to get a lot of backlash about and completely change yeah. um, that character's existence and yeah. how they're portrayed. Which drives me crazy. Um, like but I did want to say something like uh, that. Another thing this movie, I think, the, the way this movie shows its age is just how much this is still of the era. And this is almost, in a way, the transitional film, I think, of when the villain was the draw in a superhero movie and not the hero. Because yeah. for a long time, that was the juice, right? Like, just to run it over... Superman, Christopher Reeve, is a nobody. So they get Gene Hackman, Academy Award winner Gene Hackman, to play um, Lex Luthor. 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 And then the Batman movies. But you you also got Terrence Stamp in Superman 2. Yes, he's not as famous. And then Pryor, in a sense, but he's not the villain. It's still a big deal that you're taking this like Shakespearean English actor and putting him in an American comic book movie. And I think think the Batman movies really codify this. Definitely the biggest stars every single time. Yeah, because, you know, Keaton isn't necessarily a nobody. He's not Christopher Reeve. Neither is Val Kilmer, neither is George Clooney. They're like good, handsome, vaguely leading men. But you put them up against Jack Nicholson, biggest star of his generation. Danny DeVito, a bigger box office draw than Michael Keaton. Also Christopher Walken. And also Michelle Pfeiffer. Academy Award nominee Michelle Pfeiffer. Academy Award winner Tommy Lee Jones. The biggest star in the world, Jim Carrey. Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger, right? (laughs) And then the X-Men movies do this with McKellen coming right off his Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Spider-Man movies. Toby's kind of a nobody, so you pair him up again with Willem Dafoe off his Oscar nomination, right? All these movies do this thing, and you see this in the opening credits of this, that Colin gets the best billing an actor can get in this movie, right? Did you guys see this? Yeah. With Colin Farrell as Bullseye. Yeah. With as the best shit you can possibly get in a movie. Did that kind of blow your mind? It kind of blew my mind. Considering Michael Clark Duncan is an Academy Award winner. No, nominee. He did not win. Or nominee. Yeah, sorry. That Michael Clark Duncan's an Academy Award nominee. But like this, very sh- very briefly before this movie. Was yes. Put, Michael yeah. Duncan, I would have guessed probably with Colin Farrell and Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. Right? Um, but this is my point, is that but Colin is top of the world. Mm-hmm. And even if Bullseye doesn't have a whole lot to do narratively in this movie, even if he's just the flunky Colin Farrell is so much the next big thing that he's going to get the marquee placement, right? He's going to be sold in the marketing as the primary villain because they are in a sense trying to signal to you that this is like the next Jack, the next Jim Carrey, you know, the next, the next Gene Hackman, right? That even though he's still a young man, he doesn't have that much under his belt. His only real hit at this time is a Tom Cruise vehicle. I think his placement in this movie is a sign of confidence. The problem is, this is also a Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. And that's where the tide turns. But Cole, here's the thing. If you're Colin Farrell, in, in a strictly commercial speaking sense, 
this is the best possible part you could take in a film of this time. But if you're <coughs> oh, Ben no, Affleck, no, no, 100%. Yeah, but if you're Ben Affleck and the film doesn't do well, yes. And then you have a string of other films that don't do well, then yes. all of a sudden you are at, literally at the bottom of the well and nobody is helping you find your way 100%, back up. 100%. And that's going to happen to Colin. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that's going to happen to Colin a few years after that. Um, but I just think it's interesting that. When you put Ben Affleck at like the height of his Ben Affleckness, yeah, in the lead role of this movie, that starts the chain that leads to, I think, the MCU thing where it has now completely righted itself. Nobody cares about the villains in the MCU movies. The, the, the draws in terms of star power, and obviously the MCU kind of even negates that to some sense. But the, the draws are the leads, and that's how it is with superhero movies now. You know, Pattinson's not the Riddler. Pattinson is the Batman. Batman. Yeah. 20 years ago, this, I think, is the movie that starts that cultural shift, where they want to have A-listers. It takes a while to fully catch up. I yeah. can see that. Um, yeah, I can't think of any... We have Jeff that. Bridges and Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can yeah. see that that shift happening again because now I think we're in a state in the MCU where, um, suffice it to say, we're in a doldrums where I don't think, I don't think we're gonna get much A-list stars being the leads of these, you know, not so much pre-established heroes. But you know, to to kind of throw a wrench into what we were talking about before, like. The reason I went to go see Ant-Man and yes. uh, Ant-Man 3 was because of Jonathan Majors playing Kang. So I'm not saying I'm not stamping it, but I could possibly see a transition where if they the best part of Ant-Man was Kang the Conqueror and they needed more of him or they needed to restructure it, in my opinion. And it was John Jonathan Majors performance. So I feel like they need to see that and realize like, hey, like this might be the direction we're going where the lore is to try and get someone big to play the villain. And the same can be said with Thor four with Christian Bale playing Gore, the God Mm -hmm. butcher. And he was probably the stronger part of the movie. I wasn't a big fan of Thor four. It wasn't terrible, but I feel like that's the direction they're trying to go back into and I hope they kind of stick to it. That's just a a, yeah. a note I'm I'm sort of making. Probably. You can say it's I, terrible I, I if do, you think it's terrible. I do <laughs> think I know I, I I see what you're saying. My my I guess light like resistance to that is I think and and no disrespect to the man. I think he's a monumental talent. You might be slightly overstating. Jonathan Major's cultural capital. Yeah, yeah. As of right, right now, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, compared and to I, like I Christian Bale. Yes. You know. Compared to a Christian Bale, or even compared to a Tony Leung Chihuahua yeah. in uh in Shang-Chi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think actually I think you're leaving Tony... out Olga Kirilenko in uh <sighs> no, but this, <laughs> in Black this is actually a good point. I think I think that to, to, to address this point, think Shang-Chi and Ant-Man are good examples of this. Because you have Tony Lung and you have Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. But in both those movies, you also have Michelle Yeoh and Bill Murray. 
Yeah, and Michelle Yeoh and Bill Murray. Well, they're also in those movies. I mean, that is the big example. Is that in Ant Man, Corey Stoll is the villain, and Michael Douglas is the supporting player. And in 2005, they would have flipped that. But this is my this is my contemporary MCU point. For all that they are bringing, once again, bringing in big names to play the villains, the bigger names for their market, right, are still supporting players, good guys, or the the people they've already established. Or the villains. The thing about Jonathan Majors that I keep thinking about, he's clearly being introduced as a villain who's going to last in the MCU for a five to seven to ten year run. The same way that Josh Brolin lasted in the MCU for a Will, run. Will Poulter is the villain in Guardians 3, right? I love Will Poulter. I don't know if he's going to be the villain. Uh, yeah. He's um, the closest thing they're selling to one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but he might be more like yeah. a, uh, but, a red herring of a villain, like sure, marketing red herring. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah. this is a marketing yeah. question, right? You, you put Jack Nicholson in Batman to yeah. sell people on Jack Nicholson as Batman. Right, even if you're saying like, "Oh, Will Poulter might not be the real villain," then they're not really selling you a villain for Guardians Three. Do we know who the villain is in Miss Mar- in Captain Marvel Two? We do not. Yeah, no. as, at a least movie, a movie they kind of don't want to acknowledge exists. Yeah, yeah that's Cole, Cole, to, to, um, to fucking to, Black to Panther. Go off what you're saying, to go off what you're saying. Part of the part of the deal with the marketing of Batman is you want to see this movie because you want to see how crazy Jack Nicholson yes. is going to be, and that's yeah. every Batman movie for the for the next four Batman movies. You know, yes. you want to see Jim Carrey because you want to see how crazy Jim Carrey is going to get. Yes. You want to see um, Danny DeVito Daredevil. because you're going to see as how crazy Danny DeVito is going to get. You want to see Colin Farrell and Daredevil yes. because you you want to see how crazy Colin Farrell is going to get. The marketing of Thor: Love and Thunder. I, initially attempted to do this with christian bale yet christian bale stepped out during the pr run and said no it's a pretty stupid movie and i'm really just taking it for the paycheck which i I find hilarious that it's like they didn't even give him the opportunity as gore to do something that memorable that these other actors were given during these films or willem dafoe during spider-man you know i i don't just think it's Christian Bale not wanting to do PR, I think it's the entire superhero industrial complex yeah, where the, yeah. the selling point is now you want to see your good buddies hang out and have fun on screen. And, That's 100% you know, true. It, it, it is starting to peter out, but you know, we're recording That's the this, issue with the shared universe. Syndrome. We're recording this yeah. a week after Shazam comes out, right? Shazam cratered. No, but do you see it? I have seen it. Is it bad? It, it, it is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those fucking Shazam ads so many times. And those Shazam ads are just selling you on all the cool kids from the end of Shazam 1 are going to hang out and have fun. <laughs> yeah. The fucking villain in that movie is fucking Helen Mirren, right? Academy Award winner. Lucy Helen Lou. Mirren is in Shazam too. And, and She's Lucy the. Lou. Bad and Lucy Liu. Yeah, they're not. Lucy Liu is in Shazam. They're too. not selling you on. We have these Titanic actresses as the villains. Oh my god! They're selling you on Zach Levi. Yeah. They're all fucking I've seen, selling uh, you on Chuck. All I've seen in the marketing is um, uh, Rachel Zegler them being like, "Why do you want to do a superhero movie?" And her being like, "I have to pay for health insurance." This, essentially, I I swear to God, Connor, and this clearly tells me how many more times I go to the movies than you do. 
I just because can't. I physically I don't know, have the time I, right now. I, I, yeah. I get you. I get you. Because that movie was supposed to come out over Christmas and they pushed it, I have seen that trailer in front oh. of <laughs> And I go to the movies once or twice a week. I have seen that trailer in front of every movie I have seen since October. That's crazy. I swear to God. I swear to God. They, they were saturating us with it. That movie was supposed to open opposite Avatar. Oh, dear lord Jesus how much oh, less- who's the um who's the villain in black adam oh Jesus or is black Christ. adam <laughs> no, 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 i saw that, black adam not no, the villain. it's literally a, like it's like it's, the other god essentially there's like an op emphasis yeah. god to black adam and like there's this like crazed lunatic sort of terrorist supporter that like it's not a bad performance Honestly, but is it a nobody actor? Or is it it's a, a it's a total it's a no, nobody. Yeah, nobody. Oh, wow. The the juice in black. Well, the the first half of Black Adam is him fighting the Justice Society, and that's what like most Pierce Brosnan, right? Pierce yeah, Brosnan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Noah Centineo, Aldous Hodge. Man, okay, I'm not saying Black Adam is good, right? Black Adam is often extremely irritating. Black <laughs> Adam is better than people give it credit for. Yeah, there's some good stuff in Black Adam. the The Justice Society stuff in that movie is really fun. Some of the fight scenes are really well shot. Yeah, uh, I agree. I I know I'm a Jean Colette Sarah like soldier, uh, but you can't tell me this movie is a piece of shit when Jungle Cruise exists. <laughs> Because that movie that should be against the law. <laughs> Bad Pirates of the Caribbean. That, did you guys see? Did you guys see that movie? I've seen Jungle Cruise. I have. Seen I Jungle haven't Cruise. seen. Oh my yeah. god! That movie has. I am not being hyperbolic. The dumbest twist in the history of movies. Dumber than the high tension twist, and the high tension up. twist is stupid. <laughs> It's just bad Pirates of the Caribbean. It's bad Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, they're in a river. They're not in the ocean. That's it. That's all that happens. It's so... It's just the the dirt... That, I we also, can go on tangents on Dwayne John, uh, Rock Charles. I, I don't want to talk about Dwayne, man. I let's talk about Ben Affleck. Let's talk, let's about, talk about Ben Affleck. Yeah. Let's talk about my boy, my all-time boy. So my here's number my, one guy. Here's my deal with it. He's on the mountaintop, and this movie is when, in you know, in other films where there's a character on the edge of a cliff, and yeah. like the corner of the cliff breaks off underneath their feet, but they're still standing on the top of the mountain. That's that's Ben Affleck when Daredevil comes out. A hundred. Okay. Yeah. I have long stated that Ben Affleck is my favorite celebrity. He and has. This is true. Verified. This is a, a yeah. true thing about me, <laughs> listeners. People sometimes think I'm saying that Ben Affleck is my favorite actor. And that is not the case. I think Ben Affleck is incredibly interesting as a public figure. And that is why I am obsessed with Ben Affleck. And I spend good amounts of any given day thinking about Ben Affleck. And the number one thing about Ben Affleck that I, that, that like makes him like just stick in my craw. In my lifetime, and especially in my like conscious awareness of pop culture, I cannot think of any other actor who has had as many rises and falls as Ben Affleck. And that's why I love the guy. Because his yeah. career is constantly cratering, and then he's constantly having comebacks. I would say he's had, he's had two like gigantic fallen off a cliff into the bottom of the ocean falls from grace. 
Yes. Right. One one takes place literally like months after this movie comes out. Can, can I can I can I run through yeah. the Ben Affleck career? Yeah. Because I think I think it's really interesting. So starts off, he's like one of the '90s guys, right? He's popping in Days to Confused. He's working with Kevin Smith a bunch, right? Just look he's at just, the cast. Just look at the cast list for School Ties. Yeah, and you school, have every single male actor from this yeah. generation is in that film. School Ties: Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, Chris O'Donnell, Cole Hauser, <laughs> our boy uh, Hauser, Pat Affleck, Tony Rapp, our boy Jaco Avonix in that movie. That's cool. Um, Academy Award winner Brendan Brent Fraser. Fraser, <sighs> we're not talking about it. Um, <laughs> But but so he kind of just is like keeping his head down, doing good work in the 90s. And then he becomes the youngest person to win a screenwriting Oscar. Yep. Right? <laughs> he writes Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting's a sensation. And retainer. Even, he's incredible in Goodwill Hunting. Um, and even though he could be perceived as like the hanger on to Damon in the public consciousness, his career explodes. He has arguably the best year anyone's ever had in which he makes Shakespeare in Love and Armageddon uh, and gives two of the finest performances known to man All right. in those two movies. <laughs> okay, but, but this is my point. He's in the best picture winner and the highest grossing movie of the year. No, 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 I agree right? with you. Yeah. Just, and, let's stray away from the best performance. <laughs> and <laughs> then he's just fucking on the run, right? He is the new yeah. hot leading man for like four straight years people stop really liking those movies they want him to be hollywood wants him to be the next paul newman so bad exactly and it's not really clicking but the movies are still hits he's so good in boiler room um he still works with kevin smith Actually, Boiler Room is crazy because he's playing the Alec Baldwin from Glen Gary, Glen Ross in it's, Boiler Room. And it's that's the most spot on at casting you could possibly it's do. It's an incredible yeah. performance of Boiler Room. A bizarre movie. Sanish, have you seen Boiler Room? I haven't. I'm actually looking it up it's, right it's now. The Wolf it's, of Wall Street. it's the Wolf um, of Wall Street is a yeah. junkie like TNT programmer. Yeah. <laughs> like it's wow. actually based on Jordan Belfort. It's probably a more realistic um, portrayal of what it was like to work yeah. for that firm. Ben Affleck is function. Ben Affleck is playing the Jonah Hill character in The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, so but he's like really doing. Else. He's really doing Alec yeah. Baldwin from. But Glenn he's Gary doing Baldwin Ross. in. Yeah, yeah. That career is going, and then it's one of those things where like people want to take somebody down, right? The the Benefer stuff comes at the wrong time. It comes at like yeah. peak fame. People are getting tired of him, and then. This happens, and it's exactly like you said. His He's career, People Magazine's sexiest man of the year. Sexiest also. man of the year. His yeah. career implodes. So that's crash number one, right? And then he is just in the muck for several years. It's Julian Paycheck and Jersey Girl. Like, take him out behind the shed, shoot him in the head. Jersey Girl is such a weird life replicating art type of deal because Jersey Girl is literally about a man who works for um, a studio I believe like he's a he's like a casting exec first I can't remember I he either works for a talent agency and he has this big deal where he's like it's like 1996 and he's yelling about how Will Smith will never become a movie star and then his career just drops off a cliff in that movie a thing I love to tell people who are too young to remember Jersey Girl is that at the absolute apex of will smith's fame 
right? Like yeah. that, that yeah. is when he is the most famous he ever was. He played himself in a Kevin Smith movie. That that's how <laughs> yeah. those timelines converged. Um, but also the pivotal, the pivotal point of that movie is Ben Affleck yelling that Will Smith will never become a movie star. And yeah. every single viewer watching that movie being like, well, this man's about to get fired. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And then, and then he's just in the mud for several years. Right. Um, he, he does Hollywood land, which is a really good performance. I like that. Um, performance and I do believe because of Hollywood, another land, life replicating art. Yes. Problem though. That's he so is, interesting. I'm almost hundred percent sure. I believe Ben Affleck has played more superheroes on screen than any other actor. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Cause he played Batman. Yeah, he played like, Superman and he Batman, played Daredevil. Superman, Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, probably true. I and guess. if you want, if you want to quibble with me, there are scenes in Hollywood Land where he is playing George Reeve playing. No, Superman. no, I, no. Yeah. I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Have you guys um, seen Hollywood Land? I have. Uh, just snippets. Yeah, it's not like a very good movie. I don't think. I I think that is an incredible performance he gives. I I find I actually think that movie is has more value to it than it has in like our long standing maybe 15 year history or 20 year history of uh hollywood movies i think what makes that movie troublesome is it, it it it's the script is clearly um like a template knockoff of citizen kane the, yes. the actual script the actual which, I, which is what doesn't work about but the movie in no way at all wants to be like citizen kane yeah. um which is did i think you, uh... issue. Did you know that the villain played by Bob Hoskins in that movie is the same guy that Josh that Brolin Josh plays Brolin in Hail Caesar? In, yeah, I did. <laughs> Which anyway. is so funny because Josh Brolin He's, plays him as like yeah. the ultimate hero of American ingenuity. Affleck's, Affleck's in the mud, you know, his career's not going well. And then he does two things. He makes God Baby God, which everyone likes. And yeah. this is another one that's forgotten from history. He's in the Mike Judge movie Extract. Yep. And gets really good notices for Extract, which is a really funny performance. And then all of a sudden, like four years after completely flaming out, he's like reinvented himself as the serious actor director, starts working with big, you know, really big filmmakers, doing like some of the most acclaimed work of his career, and then wins an Oscar, directs the Best Picture winner, signs on to play Batman, and it's just like, boom. Which we have to say Done. too, that best picture, he he also produced Argo. So he is a fully he is oh, yeah. he is a full winner of that Ben Affleck has never yeah. lost an Oscar. <laughs> he has two Oscars from two nominations. <laughs> he's just never been nominated as an actor or director. He's the antithesis of Bradley yeah. Cooper. Yeah, but he's never <laughs> lost an Oscar. Um and then he signs on to play Batman, and it's just Everything explodes immediately, right? The worst like decision he, he possibly could have made at that. Which moment. is a yeah. shame because he's yeah. really good in those movies. And Live by Night is also yeah. so bad. Live by Night's a disaster. Everyone hates the accountant. Uh, nobody oh, sees the accountant. Nobody. I like the accountant. Nobody Super sees Triple weird. Frontier, and his career is just dead again, right? Like he's supposed to make a Batman movie. No one let him do it. He's supposed to remake Witness for the Prosecution. No one will let him do it. His career's dead. And then he gets this beautiful, juicy, dramatic, like screaming Oscar nomination role 
that gives him pandemic happens honestly the (laughs) best reviews of his career in the way back and a week after that movie comes out the pandemic happens and even though that's one of the few movies to get a theatrical release in 2020 nobody cares and then he starts dating Ana de Armas, which everyone thinks is going to like kill him. And his stock skyrockets again out of nowhere. Yeah. And he makes the last duel. He almost gets an Oscar nomination for the tender bar. Which he, gets he wrote. With- he also co-wrote the last duel. He writes the yeah. last duel. Yeah. With um, Matt Damon again. With Matt Damon. He marries Jennifer Lopez. He almost gets a nomination for the tender bar. Um which is weird. That's insane. Like he's on top again, right? Yeah. It's he's gonna implode again soon. Everyone's gonna hate air. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited Boy. for air. Boy, I'm I'm going to see that movie as soon as I possibly can in theaters, and I'm probably gonna think it's the uh, like, it not the like worst movie ever, bad. but I'm probably gonna hate it. So do we have you read guys, have you read his interviews about it? They're incredible. It sounds like the weirdest movie ever, which is like a movie that's about the the like the joys of American capitalism, and it's like this is the type of movie that you're making he's at this moment in time. Also, it's just so strange. He's also as a as a producer trying to like launch off the Steven Soderbergh thing of running yes, movies yes. like co-ops. Like yeah. he's trying to radically reinvent how like profit participation happens in no, Hollywood cinema. To- if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about it, so he and Matt Damon started a production company. This is a full production company. This is not like a run through yeah. company. This is a company that is essentially attempting to be a studio in which they're trying to radically um, revolutionize the way that like profit participation works. We're not just the producer. So in any in any given Hollywood film from the 1950s till this moment in time, uh, there's this thing called profit participation, which the above the line. Um, filmmakers and cast and crew so we're talking about like the main actors in the film the directors the producers um maybe every once in a while a cinematographer if they're that important to the marketing of the film they get to participate in this thing called profit participation where they get a share of the uh revenue that the film makes at the box office but everybody else like the set the the set deck designer the art designer the costume designer hair and makeup um assistant camera all those people are left out of that profit sharing and what matt damon and ben affleck are attempting to do is to create a studio in which every single person from what i understand who's involved with the making of the film has a stake in the in the revenue that the film makes at the end of the day which i find pretty cool i i'm sure you i'm sure you're probably really into that too too sanish no, 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 that is pretty cool. Idea, I, I had yeah. no idea. No, they're also ahead. attempting to, um, they're also attempting what, which it would, you know, change our lives significantly is, um, uh, they're attempting to change like the practices. So like better working hours and less, um, like travel commitments. Like part of the deal is like Ben Affleck was saying, I, he, both of them appeared on Bill Simmons's podcast this last week. I listened to it. Um, they were both saying that like they they were well i mean he was interviewing matt damon and ben affleck in the same podcast you you can't i i know connor i know your sportsy brain you're like preemptively mad about air like come (laughs) on buddy come on 
What, that I listen to the Bill Simmons podcast? No, like, you want to go see Air. I just said I'm going to see it as soon as it comes out in theaters. I I also kind of want to see it. I just said I'm going to see it the second I can. But um, that's not even my sportsy brain. That's more my sneakerhead brain, I think, is what's having issues. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that more so, Yeah. yeah. Because, I, I, Sunish, this is my take on Air, is that's not the interesting Air Jordan story. The interesting Air Jordan story is when they were making the Air Jordan 3, and um, uh, you, buddy, I forget who the designer of the Air Jordan 1 and 2 is, but he went left and tried to make his own company, and Michael Jordan was prepared to leave Nike and go to Adidas or Converse. And they Nike brought in legendary shoe designer Tinker Hatfield it, to design his first basketball shoe after he created the Air Max 1. And that is the Air Jordan 3, and he unveiled the Air Jordan 3 with the elephant print to Michael Jordan in a meeting where Michael Jordan was prepared to leave Nike, and Michael Jordan was like, you'll be my best friend for the next 25 years. We'll make <laughs> shoes together for the rest of history. Um, but regardless, where am I going? Oh, they're also, they say on the podcast, Ben Affleck specifically is saying like, I'm divorced. I don't want to have to go to Bulgaria to make films at a lower budget as a director. Like I would have had to do beforehand. Uh, and I would rather just stay in Los Angeles with like healthy working hours and make movies with my friends. And that's like the whole idea behind this company that they're making, which is just like, that's awesome. I cannot overstate. I cannot overstate how cool this idea is. I want air. I don't care if it's the worst movie ever. I want it to make a fuck ton of money so that they can keep doing this with other films. So they can fund Soderbergh. They can fund their friends to make films so that they can actually like this, change the way this industry works. This is why he's my favorite celebrity. Yeah. He's so <laughs> interesting. Is he a good actor? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Do, what do you think about, about Ben? Just, you can just go first overall, oh, overall, overall specifically yeah. oh, man like it's it's weird like you see him in serious roles right and sometimes you're just like enamored with it and other times you're just like man this guy's really trying to be serious right now mm-hmm. and, and and it's weird how it's polarizing in the sense that you can watch a film be completely encapsulated and immersed in a ben affleck serious role like lead film and then have a completely 180 experience with another film and just like man he's just throwing me off i'm completely not immersed at all so it's like very 50 50 where i'm just like man he's the greatest actor of all time he's like (laughs) man he should he should just retire he should call raps right here yeah (laughs) i i think he's material dependent and i think i think a lot of times when we say an actor is material dependent we're saying that they they kind of need a good script and or a good director to like get them to deliver the goods. But I I don't think that's the case with Ben. I think with Ben, it's if he doesn't care about the movie he's doing, um, he's going to completely shut down. Right? Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the films where he's either the director or the writer or something like that, tends to be the films where he does the best if i'm not mistaken I, right i i agree with the writing position yeah i i actually do think another big pet weakness of his i think he as a director doesn't seem to get what's good about him as an actor yeah like i think he's yeah. trying very hard in those three movies i don't think he's good in the town live by night or argo um okay um, wait wait we got to do something before we get out of rushmore yeah um rushmore Sinesh- we're yeah. giving you the opportunity. We do these Mount Rushmore's for actors where we take turns picking them. We end up with a, a list of four, our favorite performances from that actor. It doesn't have to be the best movie that they appear in. It's okay. just our favorite version of that actor. You're, you're under no obligation to take part in uh, the Rushmore for Ben Affleck. 
um but you get two picks and we each get one if that's if you want to do it okay I, i'm down I'm, I'm looking i'm literally looking at his filmography right now i'm trying we're to gonna we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll solve for time so you can think about yeah. it but we're gonna give you the first pick and the last pick yeah. Oh, okay yeah i'll give i'll go over some already... tidbits from um from both the interview with bill simmons and the yeah. interview that just came out in the hollywood reporter recently also uh that i just find astounding that he and matt damon had a joint bank account from the time that they were in high school throughout their early 20s wow. um that they essentially lived with each other up until the point where uh they each got married um because they were traveling and working so much that after he made reindeer games ben affleck bought a house in la and matt damon would essentially come in every few months after he was done working on a project and rent a room from ben in his wow. house with like eight other guys that they grew up with that they grew up with in boston who were not part of the film or entertainment industry at all um, he also still is in kevin smith movies yeah he's Both of them. in no no damon only did the two right i i think damon no. doesn't damon show up in uh the was it like return of jay and silent Jane, bob or whatever damon's in jay yeah. and silent bob reboot for yeah. two seconds Affleck is in Jay and Silent Bob reboot for 10 minutes. Yeah. Affleck is in Clerks 3. Right? Yeah, yes, he is. Like, like okay, but here's the yeah, thing. He's, a here's the, he's, in here's all, the, he's like no, in every single of the here's um, the thing you gotta understand. Yeah. Everyone is in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. There's even a joke in Jay and Silent Bob reboot about how after Kevin Smith had the heart attack, he basically was able to guilt everyone he knew. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth is in Jay and Silent Bob reboot, right? Like that's the movie where everyone's in it. So Matt Damon showing up and Ben Affleck showing up in that one, whatever. Yeah. He's in Clerks 3, dude. And you haven't <laughs> seen Clerks 3. <laughs> Clerks 3 I, is a movie that was shot in a weekend and he's yeah. in it. And but I find I find that very heartwarming, right? That he like he sticks with his guy. Definitely. That's what makes him such a like a fascinating figure in this. And I like know. the fact that he's so he might he can he's a, he he's, might say things that rub people the wrong way. And, but and he's similar to Colin Farrell in the fact that he's so open in every interview that he does about his like own insecurities and the treating women shittily, right? Like I don't want to gloss over that. There is some stuff about him maybe being a little being dismissive of Rose McGowan. I think a woman said he groped her on like the Today Show once. Obviously, the marriage to Jennifer Garner like imploded in very ugly fashion. Um, maybe not the nicest of people, right? I, I just think yeah. he's a very interesting figure and a, a good messy actor. guy. And yeah. the messiness is what's part of why I'm so intrigued by this guy. Cole, to give Sanish, uh, yeah. like one last final buffer. Cole, do you have a Mount Rushmore of your favorite Ben Affleck um, paparazzi moments? <sighs> wow. <laughs> How high on the list? How high okay. on the list is the um, Casey Affleck throwing out the cardboard that, that, no, that's, of Anna Dermis? <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say. The four best Ben Affleck paparazzi photos are the famous photo of him looking absolutely exhausted with the cigarette. like smoking the cigarette. a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. The photo of him juggling all the coffees, or... hundred of the coffees. Um, the back tattoo Phoenix oh rest, my the ashes oh beach my photo, yeah. and then. Casey Affleck throwing away the Anatarmus. The to what degree? Like, I am sorry, but Ben Affleck and Anatarmus paparazzi photos got us through the first couple months of the pandemic. It truly did. Yeah. And they should be national <laughs> news that 
Sinise, <laughs> do you have a pick for your favorite Ben Affleck performance? And we're, by the way, dude, unless you pick something really, really egregious, like we both get one veto for the entire show. Bro, so, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I regret not vetoing The Lost World. I also I regret not vetoing so The Lost World. But, but also knowing Justin, knowing Justin, I, I'm worried that like I would have vetoed it and yeah. he would have picked something even crazier. Than, like he would have picked, I would have vetoed it and he would have picked like BFG or something like that. Uh, just unless to, you just pick something spite. like, like we, as I'm yeah. saying is those things, we have one veto for the entire show. Like, gotcha. so you really have to push us to get us to say no. That's what I'm saying. It's your pick. It's going on Mount Rushmore. What's the first spot Ben Affleck performance? You know, it's weird. It's like I've seen a lot of his movies. I'm literally going through the list uh, of his filmographies, uh, of his filmography rather. And for some reason, it's really just one movie that sticks out to me right now. And, you know, this might be contested, might not be, but I think it's a calm pick. But I'd say Gone Girl. Performance yeah. Gone Girl. Easy, easy, Ooh. easy. <laughs> I think Talk that's his best performance. Gone Girl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want a second one? Because I, oh, I, no, I was just saying, no, let's talk about Gone Girl. Oh, about Gone Girl? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's literally epitomizes sort of what I this, uh, described before in terms of like, he when he gets serious roles, it's either going to immerse you completely or just throw you off. And like, his performance is sort of the engine in that movie. Where it's just like, man, I feel I feel for this guy. I'm curious about the story. What's going on? And he, literally, his performance makes you ask the question of like who, what, where, when, and why to this sort of psych- mm-hmm. like psychological thriller. And it's just like, man, like you got me here, Ben Affleck. Like, like I, I I really like this movie, you know. So, so also yeah. he hangs dong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I love <laughs> I love him and Gone Girl so much because I think. Fincher is one of our best casting directors yes. in history. And I think he captures that that aspect of Ben Affleck where he is so traditionally good looking in America in, in in a middle of the road American way, um, almost like a politician that you're he's he's aesthetically intriguing, but the manner of the way that he smiles and the cadence of his speech is you can't help but like start to not like him while yeah. you're <laughs> while you're just watching it, him. It also game. lines up and, really well with his career when you think about it. Cause it felt like yeah. everything he's gone through, everything he's kind of currently going through, it kind of felt like that character was perfect for Ben Affleck at that time. It all kind of lined up perfectly for him to be portrayed nick dunn in that movie so it just felt like the perfect you know mash of everything going on also a quietly a very funny performance truly yeah yeah, uh, yeah. in a way that i think a lot of actors would be a little too scared to to play a lot of that for comedy especially no, great, actors great, who are pit. especially actors who have experienced the same kind of public profile that ben yeah. affleck has experienced yeah. it's a really ballsy move for him to to agree yeah. to be in a film like that and yeah. i love the Especially fact that as he's yeah. getting divorced i love the fact that he he has also said that he part of the reason that he took the film that he took the role is because he wanted to learn from fincher how fincher directs yeah and stories of him like being on set for stuff that had nothing to do with his character in the scene, just to watch how the film, how that scene was playing out and how it was being directed. Um, But yeah, it's like, there's an aspect of Ben Affleck where he's a little bit too witty 
and a little bit too handsome and a little bit too on top of the world that makes you dislike him. It makes him untrustworthy. And that film captures it better than most do. Yeah, All right. I agree. Connor, I went first last time. So you get you so, get second um, choice. Okay, this is really easy. It's the town for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Fine. It's the town. I'm not going to veto it, but I'm not happy about it. I love the town. I love how trashy it is. I love uh, that it's a love story. I love... Uh, <laughs> again, I think that's one where... Um, He's playing a guy who kind of like is immune to sympathy because of the Ben Afflickness that I was just speaking about his um his attractiveness and and his manner of speech and uh, just the fact that he directed that film I also find very impressive and I don't know what else to say about it you don't like it as much Cole I, I'm not objecting I'm not objecting. Yeah, but you don't like it. So I'm just keeping quiet. Like no, I'm just saying. I, I feel saying my, my thoughts on the town is like, it's sort of this ensemble film, but the ensemble, like, I feel like they're competing against each other in their performances than they are. 100%. Yeah. And it, that's what throws me off about it. Cause it feels like with Ben Affleck's performance, I don't want to say it's try hardy. It's like good when you look at it individually, which, you know, this is sort of what we're doing in this Mount Rushmore. But in the totality of the film, it's just like uh, too individualized. That's why I, I don't look at it as much, but I see what you're saying, Connor. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think that film, I think that film, if you're going to explore uh, everything Ben Affleck has done over his career and try to like boil it down to one project, I think that's probably the most important one to look at. That's fair. That's fair. All right, my pick this is very easy for me, right? Because I think there's pretty clearly, in my mind, I pretty clearly know what I think his best performance is. Can I ask ever. you right up the front, is it a movie that we have spoken to outside, spoken about outside? I'm not sure. And also I'm going to say, I'm not sure if either of you guys have seen this movie. Because I will say, for a long time, I was firmly Gone Girl's easily his best performance. And that ended about a year ago. Oh, God. Because... My entry in Mount Rushmore uh, is Deep Water. God. The Adrian Lyne film. God, God. Hold on. Do you not like Deep Water? Hold on for a second. Oh, that's with Anna de Armas, right? With the yeah. Anna de Armas, the Adrian Lyne movie he made. Oh, that I haven't seen it. That's the one where they're in this like tumultuous relationship. They're like, in, okay. All right, here's a first. I'm vetoing Deep Water. No! Oh, yes, yeah. I'm vetoing can Deep I, Water. Can I make the case before you veto it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. What this? That'll be the way it works. You have to. It's yeah. Like a let, let me, let me make, make the case yeah. because I think this is his best performance, easily. <laughs> and here's why: this is the this is a response film to Gone Girl, right? Yeah. And no disrespect to Gone Girl or Rosamund Pike's performance in Gone Girl, which I think is an incredible performance. But you do once the rug is pulled out from you on that movie you do kind of get a handle on amy as a character and it's fun to watch her move but the tension becomes how everyone else responds to the fact that this woman is a complete psychopath who is willing to do anything to get her way right makes the movie that's what makes the movie great no that's what makes the movie great what i love about deep water as the response film to that because deep water all honestly is almost a gender flipped gone girl where Somewhat. the wife 
is the like emotionally like the the wife is the callous kind of emotionally cruel distant philanderer happening and the husband's the one where you're like is this person actually dangerous but the trick of that movie is he could be a serial killer in that movie that movie really doesn't let you give you a clean answer on that for so much of its runtime and neither does that performance that Ben Affleck is holding so much back from the audience in this portrait of this man who might be a complete psychopath who might be getting off on the fact that he's okay with his wife cheating on him because he what he actually is he okay with his wife cheating on him because he enjoys being cuckolded as a fetish or is he okay with his wife cheating on him because what he actually likes is the excuse to murder people right that's the question of that movie and he's giving you so little because what he's giving you is all of it because if you meet a person like that in real life it's not like amy dunn movie characters reveal themselves to the audience right because that's how storytelling happens real people don't do that and affleck is playing that like a real person who's keeping it all secret i don't think the movie though is even I'm not talking close. about the movie. No, but I'm saying, but this is the issue with this. It's like, I don't think the movie itself is even remotely close to as smart as, as you know, but the performance is. is, but the performance is. And that's why I'm so captivated by it. That... Check out this movie now. It's, I don't think <laughs> it's have... not, it's not a great movie. It's no. not even remotely as gone girl level. Good. It's no. an interesting movie. And I just think this Affleck performance is the most layered, nuanced, mysterious, and exciting thing he's ever given. Uh, and it, because so much, it feels like he's elevating what he's given. Come on, man! I let I mean, you have the you town. made it. You made a good. You made it. The town is fucking amazing. <laughs> I let you have the town. <laughs> the town is great. What do you I mean let you let you have me have town. it? How could you have the Ben Affleck Mount Rushmore and not have the town on the Mount Rushmore? Because he's given at least four better performances. I don't One know. Of which is I don't water. know, man. Um. Okay, I'll 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 allow it. You made a good case. Yeah. <laughs> Stream it on Hulu, baby. The pro- it's a problem good is movie. the, it's a the good problem movie. is Cole. The problem is I think you. I think if you took that one away, I think you would pick a a film that as a collection of films would make a more interesting. Uh, sure, but it's not the collection of films. It's I the know. collection of performances. I would have nominated him for best actor last year, but oh. easy. Wow. Because the you film my... has to be, there has to be a certain quality to the filmmaking no, for the performance th- to pay off in that manner. I don't, and I think that's a good, it's a good, solid little movie. I think the, the, I think the, the. My best actor nominees last year were Ben Affleck, Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, Paul Mescal, Viggo Mortensen. And I stand by it. The, having the knowledge that Sam Levinson wrote the, the screenplay to that film. I don't know if so did Tracy West. The script that. is bad. The script is really bad. It's like, so bad, though. The direction so is good. Atrocious. The direction is good. The performance is incredible. Free your the performance mind. is good. The performance is good. I, I like. I don't want anybody to think that Ben Affleck is bad as an actor in the movie. I just think that the movie itself is so bad that I no. The movie's with pretty. The movie's fun. It. The movie's fun. I don't even have fun watching it. Oh, I do. But I like erotic, I spent the whole I movie like being like, erotic this is the worst movie. movie. Oh, my God. I like erotic thrillers. It's not, there's nothing about that movie that I find that 
Uh, okay, there's nothing about Deep Water that includes what I enjoy about good erotic thrillers. Yeah, I I love that performance. I love it. My favorite Ben Affleck performance. You I'll, veto I'll, it. Right. I'll allow it. Yeah, I just think I think if you took that one away, I think you specifically would pick up a film that's more interesting. I know exactly what I would pick if I didn't do it, and I think it's more interesting to have Deep Water on there. Really? Okay. Yeah, and I can tell you off mic. Well, what you my, can say it when pick. Sanish gives. Yeah. His- Sinise, you get the last pick. The last one. Oh my god! After that, that discussion is like, how do I follow <laughs> up? Because I'm like, oh my god, you know. Um, Jesus, man, it's like follow your heart and maybe scroll up to the earliest movies in his filmography. That, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> well, here's the here's the deal with the town. If I'm gonna make a second secondary case for it, is I think him as it like. The fact that he directed it, it's the first time that he truly allows himself to be as menacing um, in that kind of manner as he is in that film. I, I am not going to veto it, so I'm just not going to say anything. No, but I'm saying, that's, I'm saying that's an aspect of it that I really enjoy, yeah. that other films that he had been in up to that point. I can't believe you're not. I, that's a film that I would assume you would really like. So the well, fact no, that you don't it's really, really, really like it. Bad. It's and not every, bad. It's there's one. There's one good performance in the town. Is but I will him? wear what? No, no, it's not <laughs> him. I'm just guessing. You're it's dead. Blake Lively. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I love it. I love it. This isn't what Affleck says, but I love it when Renner shoots the guy in the kneecap and he's like, "Yeah, Renner's." Then there goes Colin. I haven't Saka. seen it. I haven't seen it since it came out, dude. It's great, man. I it's watched fantastic. it once and I was like, "This is a bad movie." And I they're in the van. Movie. They look at the cop, and the cop just looks yeah. the other way because he doesn't want to deal with it. Sydney's, do you have the fourth spot? Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a toss-up right now. It's a toss-up. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Oh, man. Oh, God. It, it's between Armageddon, uh, and this is a weird one, but strictly his performance as Bruce Wayne, and that's it. <laughs> Go with Armageddon. In which, in which Armageddon. movie? In which movie? Um, in um, uh, Batman vs. Superman. I know what I would pick of those two, but you're good. But, but it, it's weird heart. because it's like half of a performance of a film and then Armageddon. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Which one? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go Armageddon. All right. Armageddon. It's so good. That's it's so much fun. Too. Yeah. yeah. Would you have a, picked that one, Cole, between the two of them? No. Wow. What the <laughs> fuck, man? You're... <laughs> all right, all right. We're Do doing this hear... too early in the morning. You are off right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> you are okay. off. This is what my runner-ups would have been had you vetoed it. The, let, let me let me let me scroll down the list. It would have been Dazed and Confused, okay. Shakespeare in Love, okay, Batman versus Superman, no, The Accountant, <laughs> oh, God. Armageddon. <laughs> I would have. I, 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 I would have. But here's the thing. Land. Here's the thing, Sinesh. I think he's fucking amazing in Armageddon. I just like that's how that's how in the tank I am for this guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean. Yeah, that's it's, why I, my heart said Armageddon. Yeah, so I'm like, let's do it. Yeah, and it, that's what I want. It's what we were talking about with Hearts War, Connor. It's it's the performance where he has to go head to head with Bruce. And that's like kind of like how you test steel in a way, you know? I would have gone, I would have just gone so completely different than you guys. Like, I think that's okay. Really, that's what's I think, fun about it. I know, it. I know, I know. I think it's, I'm not vetoing them. I'm right. not vetoing the, them. The canonical four best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these are them. Gone Girl, The Town, Deep Water, Deep Water, oh, Armageddon, 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 Armageddon. Baby. <laughs> let's fucking go.
Armageddon deserves to be there just with him talking with the animal crackers it's on such Tyler's a good stomach. Scene. Everyone makes fun of it, but it's such a good scene. And so is the scene where he sings Leaving on a Jet Plane. And he, I mean, that is probably the outside of like everyone in Ambulance. That is probably the performance in a Michael Bay movie that most latches onto like the emotional core of a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, which is often yeah. something that can be missing and I think intentionally because Michael Bay is such a sadist um, but then Ben Affleck's commentary on the movie is just him being like this is the dumbest movie ever made it's, essentially. it's one of the yeah. best movies ever made um, we haven't really talked about Daredevil that much but I think we've talked about what we want to talk about Daredevil I'm surprised that neither of you picked Good Will Hunting he's very good in Good Will Hunting yeah. Yeah. there's yeah, four spots I, I got one choice I got one choice okay no, no, I get it. I'm, I, and I didn't I personally... pick Days to Confuse. And you know how hard it is for me not to pick the Richard Linklater movie? Well, I really thought you were going to pick I really thought you were going to it. He's, uh, he's I, so good I, in Days. I, thought I, about think, he's, I think he is absolutely incredible in Hollywood Land. As he's, well. yeah, again, yeah. incredible in Hollywood Land. It's, there is a lot, there are so many stinkers mixed in there. But this yeah. is also part of why he's my favorite celebrity, is that when he, when he steps up to home plate and he cares, he's going to knock it out of the park, right? Yeah. And I do think, can I just speak to the Bruce Wayne performance for a second? And yeah. why I yeah, think he's go so it. good in specific, he's, he is also good in both versions of Justice League. But he's better. I think he's really bad in the theatrical Justice League. I think he's fine in both of them. He's really, Batman Superman versus Superman is the one where he's great. I think it's a terrible movie. I think yeah. he is great. But here's the specific thing I think is great about that performance. The line on Batman is that Bruce Wayne is not a person, right? That Batman's the, that the Batman real is person. A, the yeah. real person is Batman and Bruce Wayne the is The mask just is Bruce Wayne. The mask is Bruce Wayne. That is the common idea of Batman. And that's how everyone plays Batman. And they take different tacks on it, right? Like Christian Bale's whole thing is that he's like overtly play acting. Robert Pattinson's whole thing is that he's so obsessed with it that he like, Bruce Wayne has become this weird shut-in. There's just, that great there is shot. no Bruce Wayne. In yeah, Batman Returns, where he's just sitting in a drawing room in the dark, yeah. waiting for the bat light to come on, right? But that's, that's his introduction to the movie in Batman Returns. Ben Affleck, and you, you said this, Sinise, Ben Affleck is playing Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Bruce yeah. Wayne is a person, right? He is not just the thing Batman has to do when he's not in the costume. He is his own person with his own interests and his own life that yeah. exists beyond the cowl and that he makes that work. And it's not like even so much of a code switching or like almost like pseudo multiple personality thing, but that he's like, no, this guy has a healthy life outside of being Batman. Yeah. Is, I feel like you see that in the, the opening scene, like moments of the film. Cause it's yeah. literally like Bruce going into the rubble, trying to, yes. Like, and, and they established that early. And it's like, but All it's right. not, it's not Bruce becoming Batman to yeah. go into the rubble, right? It's Bruce going into the rubble. Yeah, exactly. That it is the most well-rounded Batman in a way, and it's a shame that the movies never gave him enough to do with it. Yeah, Connor is so bad. I think he's. I think Ben Affleck is a good actor in Batman vs Superman. I just. Think that movie, movie is so bad. It's, it's a bad, bad movie. Yeah. Free your mind. 
the performance I can't can be because good. I know we say I know we say don't pick your four favorite movies that he's in, pick your four favorite performances. But in a sense, those performances are tied to the movies being good and well directed. Yeah, sure, but make, there's and so make much emotional shit sense. in Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice that has nothing to do with his performance. I know. Yeah. I just think I don't want to get into like the psychology of Batman, especially when we're supposed to be talking about a different superhero sure. on this <laughs> very episode. But this that we're on. Okay. I okay. do think partially he is doing similar things to what he does in the town. I think the town sure. is a better version. I'll of that rewatch overall. the town. I'll rewatch the town. The town is a great movie. You're going to have to Photoshop. You're going to have to Photoshop deep water onto that mountain. I haven't uh, even done the, I haven't even done the, the minority report ones yet. I'm so behind. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's loop back though. What do we think about his performance in Daredevil? I actually don't think it's bad, especially yeah. in the, in the director's cut. It's, it's really not that bad. Yeah. Uh, man it's like part it it's literally again it ties back to sort of how i described him before as an actor it's like a combination where it's like there are moments where i am immersed and moments where i'm not immersed and it's like i don't want to say it's 50 50 like oh when he's daredevil i believe it when he's matt murdoch i believe it it's almost to me like moments where i see it working and moments where I don't see it working. And I'm like trying to sort of cycle through when that happens. It, What's a moment you see it working? <laughs> uh, like, honestly, to me, it's when it's almost a rom-commy with Electra. Interesting. Where I see it working. And it, the reason I see it working is because, and it kind of goes against why, it kind of goes against the movie. It makes the movie kind of bad, is like his scenes with, uh, with Electra, because it's like, okay, I kind of believe this as a budding relationship, because they're like weird people falling in love in their unique senses, because they've gone through weird stuff. When they're separated, and he's Matt Murdock, and he's with Foggy, that relationship is sort of like, these guys feel like they shouldn't be friends, but I guess they're friends. <laughs> it's and so like, much better in the director's cut. It makes okay, so much and, more sense. And I believe yeah. that. And then when he's Daredevil... I don't think about it as much because it's almost like he's like a puppeteer in a way and you're not thinking as much of his actual performance but more so of his movements and it's like I guess I'm not criticizing as much it's like okay it's serviceable you know and I guess that's sort of that's how I see it right now and this is me sort of critically thinking on the fly right now you know but yeah yeah I think he's terrible in this movie sorry <laughs> No, that's fair. Uh, and weirdly, weirdly, I, 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 I think like some of the stuff. There's stuff in the interactions with him and Jennifer Garner that works yeah. in the way that anytime you put few people on screen who are actually fucking, you're gonna get <laughs> some just juice that there. Beautiful, like yeah, and that Jennifer beautiful Garner God, looks, yeah. she looks so good in this movie, right? Like. Uh, and I think she gives a like shit. moderately decent performance in this movie too. Like, um, beyond like how kind of hot it is when he like smells her though. I, that was, that I think for me. <laughs> I think he's totally checked out in this movie, and also I, I don't think they have weirdly that much chemistry beyond the fact that they actually have real life chemistry. I, agree I don't think with it translates you. that much. I agree with I, you. This is another thing. You guys haven't seen John Wick 4 yet. I can't believe I'm bringing up John Wick 4 twice. But Donnie Yen is in John Wick 4. And he does a similar shtick to this in the Star Wars movie he did, where he's playing a blind character. 
I know Donnie Yen is Donnie Yen and Ben Affleck is Ben Affleck, and maybe I shouldn't be holding them to the same standards. But watching this movie just a handful of days after I see just how much effort Donnie Yen has put into like inhabiting the physicality of how like a blind man with super senses would kick ass in a fight. And then how little Ben Affleck cares about that or his choreo team. You're just like, what's the point of doing this? If you're not gonna ever make, why isn't he backhanding people that he's not looking at? You know, like put him in a room with a bunch of people and have him kick all their asses because he doesn't need to see them. Give me that. He has a moment something. in the uh, in the Ben Simmons interview where he said Ben Affleck says he's very uncoordinated. He says yeah. his his sophomore year of high school he went into the school year he was five foot two, and at the end of the school year he was six foot two. And I'm not saying it has to be yeah. Donnie Yen level, but like give me something here. No, I just think it's funny. I think it's funny, and they speak about it during the interviews for when the movie was released that Jennifer Garner was such a better fighter than he was because she had like trained in ballet and was yeah. doing Alias like for so long okay are we in agreement as to what the best scene in this movie is um because i think the best scene in this movie is when she's doing the side training well to bring me to life by evanescence can i tell you what i audibly said wow like i audibly like i'm watching the movie and i went whoa <laughs> when <laughs> this is so stupid when they're at the funeral and my immortal is playing and it's raining and she takes the umbrella out and puts the umbrella overhead and her face disappears i was watching the film went, oh like oh like i was like this is cinema right here <laughs> like here's my thing about the bring me to life scene which fucking rules it's so good right do you guys it hate it the shot no i love it <laughs> And the shot that I blows my mind is um, I wouldn't say necessarily it's it's I, f- I don't remember who the, the members of Evanescence, what their names are, but it's when the guy Amy starts kind of like and the, rapping. He, that dude's not yeah. even in Evanescence. I know he's just featured on the song, right? <laughs> he's he's a guy from guy, a different group. When that guy starts yeah. rapping, it cuts to just a shot of the Daredevil mask and then the camera pans yeah. and it's just Ben Affleck's face. And that shot lasts for like six seconds. It's yeah. really jarring and it makes me laugh every time I watch it. The, the two things I love about that scene. One is what you were talking about, about the almost ballet influence in yeah. how Electra moves and how Electra is attacking these training dummies that you're like begging to see in the rest of the movie you get finally you get very interesting choreo and an appeal of a movie like this especially with a character who has such internalized um superpowers is you just want to see good fight choreo and good movement choreo right exactly and the movie doesn't deliver that except weirdly this scene where this isn't garner it is garner i think doing a lot of her own stuff in this it does seem like but whoever's moving in this scene is just moving so gracefully. They're so excited. The second scene is like, look, Bring Me to Life is a corny song, right? It is an incredibly silly song. Yeah, but sometimes the cheese, but it pays that's off, man. why it works. It that's pays why off. It, it, it makes everyone who listens to it so emotional. And in this moment with this song, the movie hits these like, glorious highs of melodramatic lunacy right like almost like Malgoth Cirque and you want the whole movie to have that sort of religious erotic fervor to it that the song so perfectly has and this brief scene has the whole movie was shot 
and edit it and had the tone of the Bring Me the Life scene. It's a great movie. People hate it. People would make fun of it, but it would be so enticing. Yeah. And the movie just has no juice to it. I I say I juice find too it, often on the show. <laughs> you do not. You should say it more. Um, you should start differentiating what kinds of juice, you know. Some people are... I say juice, juice. I say exhilarating because I edit the show gang. So I like really am like starting to clock into what say clock um, what my <laughs> what my verbal ticks are. Well, I, yeah, I listen to it. I just make up words as we go. Um, Roger also Ebert, pause like, for like eight minutes between words sometimes. Yeah, I know. It's because <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm just trying to think of the best way to go into yeah. what I'm trying to say. Ebert and you know, really liked this movie. Probably yeah. the well, cancer. I don't want to say I don't want to say that Ebert loved this movie, but Ebert definitely took the take of like this is a good movie and people should watch it, which I just find amazing. And I... in the in the the television clip of Skull and Ebert, he just keeps talking about the rain and how beautiful it is to see the rain hit Jennifer Garner's face. And I'm like, that's it right there. That's it why is, he loves the movie. It is the yeah. best scene of the movie. The rain. Besides Bring Me to Life, the rain thing is is good. It works. Yeah, no, no, it works. But there's nothing the... that Roger Ebert as a critic enjoyed more than filmmakers just attempting to do something visually, even attempting if it doesn't do pay off. Something visually, big yeah. swings. I also think, no disrespect to the late great Roger Ebert, but I think if you give him like a sliver of Catholic guilt in a movie, he's going to be on that like white on rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and that this movie has those like vague Scorsese illusions with the church stuff which you know i would love more of give me a whole movie of that i love that shit this is how this is how like paragraphs are in his review like one paragraph it just says like the movie is actually pretty good (laughs) (laughs) it's the way a paragraph starts and then the the like the preceding paragraph says the movie is in short your money's worth better than we expect more fun than we deserve i'm getting a little worn out describing the origin stories and powers of superheroes and their relationships to arch villains uh gnashing henchmen and brave muscular female pals which is uh, insane that he said that in 2003 considering where we are today so i will say this and again no disrespect to him this is around the time that ebert first gets cancer and a thing ebert spoke about when he got cancer was that he really had this like internal shift where he wanted to enjoy movies, right? He started much more, even though he still has some like legendary pans in the last 10 years of his life. He, he spoke a lot about how, you know, once he, once he was hit with this terminal illness, he, he started going to things and was much more willing to like be positive, give him a fair shake, have an open mind, a lovely philosophy, I think sometimes in reviews of that era, and this is one of them, you can see him like really trying hard to like talk himself into liking the movie. And it feels in a weird way, some of those reviews feel as disingenuous as those critics who are looking to just knock down a sacred cat. I don't think it's disingenuous as it much feels, as like you said he he said it was actually pretty good. That feels disingenuous to me. No, I think it's more I think it's more him understanding the readership at that time that it, there were so many more mainstream readers of Roger Ebert reviews at that moment in time at the turn of the century. And I think I understand him being like what value is there in me just tearing apart Daredevil? 
like a movie that's not even worth yeah. the pan, you know? Yeah. And be like, I'd rather just talk about a few of the good things that the movie does and not really spend that much energy on being like, this is the death of cinema. And it, everything it is a lovely now. philosophy, right? Yeah. yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say about this movie? I like Michael Clark Duncan. It's kind of an obvious performance, but I think he's having fun. Yeah. Um, we could go he looks good casting. on screen. Uh, yeah, this is one up- where everyone like everybody people are for every role right yeah but some of them just don't make any sense to yeah. me so like vin diesel was like offered the role hot. he was hot yeah guy yeah. pierce like i don't make really sense that, I makes guess. so yeah. much sense um edward norton matthew yeah. davis where <laughs> matthew davis again coming up matthew on davis is not real yeah i like the idea that colin farrell was considered and then they asked when to be bullseye instead people um, th- that happens a lot yeah uh, I don't know if you know this, but Sam Rockwell was the 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 number two for Iron Man. And that's why yeah, he's and, playing uh, like shitty Tony Stark in Iron Man 2. And uh, what's his name was um the uh, second for Thor. Uh, um, Hiddleston? Uh, yeah. uh, no, Hiddleston. Hiddleston was not second for Thor. Hiddleston was, Hiddleston was someone they were thinking about early for Thor. Oh, but he okay. but but I think they made the decision early on to have him be Loki. I believe yeah. second for Thor was Damon. Wow, really? I, I might be wrong that about crazy. that. I've but never I believe heard that before. they almost went with Damon. Hold on, let me double check. Um, also, I know Linus Roach and Killian Murphy were up for Bruce Wayne and Batman Begins. Yes, Killian Murphy up was up in the film. for... Um, for uh, Linus Roach would have been insanity for him to be Batman, Bruce Wayne <laughs> and Batman Begins. Um let's see uh a lot of the uh oh dude i have a lot actually we need to get through um before (laughs) we move on from this Uh, i didn't even realize it um do you have any strong opinions about the stan lee cameo he's just Eh, walking down this whatever he's in there uh kevin smith cameos as jack kirby (laughs) i thought that was cool he's a mortician yeah yeah but you know who jack kirby was in real life right or do you know that yeah Yeah. which is okay this is this is my thing okay and i do have to actually be pedantic about this jack kirby has nothing to do with daredevil yeah that's what yeah he's just a marvel guy yeah can i say the worst of these can I, can I can I briefly go on my soapbox? Yeah, go for Th- it. Yeah. This isn't this is mostly an accident of timing. But Stanley's Captain Marvel, the Brie Larson film Captain Marvel, that's the one that comes out right after Stanley dies. So that's the one that has the like touching, you know, dedicated to Stanley. He gets a little more to do in the cameo, right? Like it yeah. feels like a little he's really reading the mall rat script in that cameo. Um, but that's the one that feels a little more important. Stan Lee has nothing to do, A, with the original character, Captain Marvel, B, with the character of Carol Danvers, or C, with the reinvention of Carol Danvers that makes people care about her uh, enough they make a movie about her. Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is the person who wrote that book in the 2000s and made Carol Danvers like an A-list character in the comics is like in the corner of one frame walking out of the corner of one frame in that shot. We should be giving people who aren't Stan Lee maybe a bit of a chance to, to yeah, pop in these things. I agree full Other writers worked on these things and calling it Jack Kirby in this one, just because he's like a name some people would recognize. Um, weirdly, 
one of two Ben Affleck movies that Jack Kirby is in. Do you know the other one? What's the other one? He's in Argo. The real Jack really? Kirby. The real Jack Kirby was involved in the in the fake production of the movie Argo. What? So that when <laughs> when they get so the is there a character, boards, there's a character in Argo yes, named Jack Kirby. It's it's the guy from Red State. When they get the storyboards oh from for for the fake Argo movie, there's like one shot in Argo where they're talking to a storyboard artist. That is supposed to be Jack Kirby. For those real for life, listeners who have no interest in comic books, Jack Kirby was like a legendary Marvel artist who played a big hand. And writer. A lot of times, bigger hand than Stan Lee in creating the characters, the storylines, all of created, the cosmic stuff in me, both Marvel not and just DC the cosmic stuff. is let, let me straight from down. Jack Kirby. Let me break yeah. this down. Created the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Created Thor. Yep. Created the Hulk. Designed yep. Spider-Man's costume. Um, invented the concept of romance comics. Uh, once threatened to beat up a group of neo-Nazis who wanted to, not even neo-Nazis, this was during the war, once threatened to gr- beat up a group of American Nazis who wanted to bust up the Marvel offices because they were all Jews working there. Like, a cool dude. Daredevil's created the X-Men. Uh, Daredevil's the one character of the 60s that he had nothing to do with. <laughs> but just a legendary, legendary figure. Uh, in the the icon of American superhero comics. Yeah. Yeah. undeniably probably is there even a good like michael jordan to sneakers you know sure buddy yeah. <laughs> not sure. that he, not that michael jordan created sneakers but when you think of sneakers you think of michael jordan and for a lot of people sure. who are comics heads when they're thinking of comics they think they're thinking of jack kirby you know sure yeah um more stuff you wanted to say because i really don't yeah have anything matt's to say dad about. they change his name he's battling jack in the comics he's the yeah. devil in yeah. the movie Whatever. he fights he fights a fighter named john ramita john ramita senior was an artist who another artist daredevil stuff Dare, um, ramita senior wasn't huge on daredevil he just like did daredevil his first marvel job was daredevil yeah like his first but job he, with with marvel yeah. was daredevil and his son had done a lot of daredevil too. no his son yeah. is a big daredevil guy Who's also named John Ramita. His yeah. son's named John Ramita. I would think it's probably more named after John Ramita. Both both the Ramitas, incredible artists, by the way. Yeah. Don't don't get enough due in like the history of Marvel Comics, uh, but are both incredibly important figures. The um the guy that Daredevil kills at the beginning of the movie is named Jose Casada. That's after Joe Casada, yeah. who we talked Rude. about. <laughs> uh, Frank Miller has a cameo as a man who I like it's shot so weird because it's just in close up but I'm assuming he's the guy that owned the motorcycle that Bullseye steals when he yeah, because he has head. a knife in his forehead yeah Paul um, well, I'm you got to play the music these these are obligatory but I can't uh can't go past it without saying Kevin Smith Born and raised in Red Bank, New Jersey. So you got to put in the music, my brother. In He's in. He's, He's in. in the he New is. Jersey Wall of Fame. Once you enter this family, there's no getting out. He um, is undeniably He's Mr. the New greatest Jersey. filmmaker to ever come out of New Jersey. And you have to live with that. I I feel like that's not true, but I'd have to I'd have to look at the list of filmmakers who were Photoshop. Mine. It's so weird that he's in this movie for two seconds. I it's it, so but weird. it's also it, it, it makes sense just because it is that weird confluence of 
He's very close friends with Ben Affleck and he's famously a big daredevil guy. He's famously. Yeah. So here's the deal with Kevin Smith. He, uh, you know, talk about comics and a lot of his movies chasing Amy, which stars Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck plays a comic book artist and writer in that film. Um, I think they, they go, there's a lot of comic stuff in Mallrats, and then Kevin Smith also wrote like what's considered one of the best Daredevil storylines called guardian devil. I think it came out in around 2000, maybe 1999. Um, I'm not crazy about it. I've read it. It's good. The art is good. It's just not one of my favorite Daredevil story arcs. Um, Joe Quesada actually did the art for it. Uh, and I think due to his the public knowledge of Kevin Smith being a guy who's interested in comics and had written comics, he came on to consult a lot when these early comic book films at the turn of the century were happening. And um, to my understanding, he actually was one of the ones that was one of the people who told uh, Avi Arad and other other producers of this film, you should cast Ben Affleck. He'd be great in the role. And uh, I, according to both of them, Ben Affleck also had read almost every Daredevil uh, story arc before even coming onto the project so, or being involved wow. for the project. Yeah. Meanwhile, Colin Farrell's <laughs> over here like, I don't give a shit about it <laughs> yeah. publicly in interviews. Gives a best I will say, still. <laughs> I will say, I know it might be hard for people who don't have much of a cultural memory of the early 2000s to remember this, but Kevin Smith used to be considered like a major American filmmaker. <laughs> he was on, he was like, if you look up archived web pages, like forum pages from the late 1990s, yeah. Kevin Smith is mentioned in the same type of movie bro director talk as Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. Absolutely. It is yeah. he, he did a lot of interviews. He crossed a lot of boundaries. I remember this movie being very much sold as like Kevin Smith was involved, yeah. not just as an actor, but like he like had some like uncredited, you know, involvement in the development as like a selling point for this movie, which is insane to think about 20 years later because that man's career has gone so into the fucking toilet. I'll do Clerks that three, Clerks three, maybe the saddest movie ever made. Oh, wow. Because I was planning on watching it, but I, I haven't seen it yet. As someone who used to be really into Kevin Smith, and because Kevin Smith is one of those people who just speaks so much and writes so much, and there's just this veritably huge archive of Kevin Smith's thoughts on anything, and there always has been. He was one of the first podcasters, right? Yeah. Like, it's kind of easy to start to get reads on Kevin Smith if you care to pay attention to that stuff. I have always had the opinion that, like, whatever you think about him, he is definitely smarter and more talented than his body of work would indicate, even if not by much. And I think that's probably true. He, yeah. he used to speak a lot about his desire to escape the Jay and Silent Bob velocity and try to make other stuff and was always very publicly, like, depressed when movies like Jersey Girl and Zack and Mary and Red State were not received well. Knowing that, Clerks 3 is the saddest movie ever made. Okay. Clerks 3 is devastatingly upsetting as an act of a man just fucking giving it. I'll keep that in mind when I eventually watch it. It's very it's strange terrible. if anybody is to watch. And uh, a lot of people haven't seen this film, oddly enough. A dogma that he made with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. You, do you know the deal with dogma? 
Well, it's very strange when Jay and Silent Bob yeah. show up in that film and are basically yes. like, oh, we are protagonist number two and protagonist number three yes. for the rest of this film. Um, yes. It's very jarring. And it really throws the balance of the film off completely. Do you, do you know, do either you guys know the reason why Jay and Silent Bob uh, dogma is so hard to watch and why no one's seen it? Because it is completely out of print. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was very controversial. Very, very, very This is what it is. Yeah. Kevin Smith obviously had a very good working relationship with the Weinstein brothers, right? Uh, most of his movies were Miramax movies. Um, Miramax was a Disney company. Dogma, from the moment it is announced, is a deeply, deeply controversial movie. And the Catholic Church is like pillorying that movie from, from the moment it's, before it's even shot, right? It's, it's essentially they a got, film about two angels who have yes. been forced, who have been exiled from heaven, trying to use a loophole during a, like a, a rebranding of, like a rebranding of a Catholic church in New Jersey. They're attempting to yes. use a loophole to find their way back into heaven. It is, is what also that movie a is movie about. where the new Messiah works at an abortion facility, right? Yes, like, yeah. I think that movie is half- really, really smart Kevin Smith interrogating his own Catholic upbringing and half fucking nonsense. And Jay, and, was, Silent, Jay yeah. and Silent Jay and Silent Bob are uh, revealed to be prophets of God. Yes, in that film. yes yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Movie yeah. was deeply controversial. Miramax is owned by Disney. The, the, the edict comes down once that movie's wrapped. Disney's like, fuck no. <laughs> fuck no. And in the one instance I think in his entire career of Harvey Weinstein standing up for a filmmaker. Cause like take all the actual real world crimes out of the picture. Harvey Weinstein was also someone who would fuck over any movie he could get his paws on. Right. Yes. Like as a producer, he was like, go to hell. There was that story that James Cameron just told about James Cameron almost getting to a fight with him at the Oscars because of how much he had fucked over Guillermo del Toro. James Gandolfini uh, almost got in a fight with him. Harvey apparently. Weinstein. No, this is true though. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein personally bought the rights to Dogma back from Disney. And I think licensed them to um, Lionsgate for the release. But that movie is owned by Bob and Harvey Weinstein. And that's why you can't find it anymore. That's crazy. That sucks. Because of all the fucking legal morass around their finances. Because it's not a mere, it's not like the Weinstein company owns it. They specifically own it. And that's why it's completely out of print. And it probably will stay that way until both of them are dead. Well, am I crazy if I say this? Uh, But I think Dogma has the funniest Damon performance of any movie that Damon is in. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't think it's very good. Well, it's not a very good movie. It's not a bad, it's not a horrible movie. We um, don't want to talk about Daredevil. <laughs> no, but I, Damon, Damon's character in that movie is... So at the, Damon and Affleck play the angels who have been yes. exiled from heaven. And Affleck's angel was just like a watcher. He just watches people fall in yeah. love and like loves it. Damon's character used to be the, the angel of death who like destroyed Gamora and Sodom. Yes. And so he just wants to kill people who are like committing adultery and stuff like that. That's all he wants to do in that film. Um we have yeah. anything else? I don't even know how we got on that. Talking about so, Kevin Smith. Alanis um, Morissette is God. Wait, is you gotta play. Alanis Morissette plays God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You gotta you gotta play the fucking music again, Cole. The, oh because God. Joe Pantoliano is from Hoboken, New Jersey. Once you enter this family, there's no getting out. 
the town that I reside in. Joe Pantoliano, great New Jersey man in The Sopranos. Um, Fantastic run in The Sopranos. I am glad you brought Joey Pants up. Yeah, Joey because Pants. My we haven't talked about him one, at all. My number one piece of evidence as to why this movie is bad, Daredevil, <laughs> is that Joey Pants is bad in this movie. Do you know how much of a bad movie it has to be that Pantoliano is not going to like give a wacky performance in it? Yeah, that's great. One of my favorite yeah. actors. He is half asleep this whole movie. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he is. Also, it goes against the way the character is written in the comics. Yeah, like, I don't care. Yeah, I that's the part that threw me off. I'm just like, yeah. I ended up like just like hating the guy. His performance is like everything was just so canonically. Off canonically, Ben Urich works for the Daily Bugle. Yes. And he essentially works for the Daily Bugle. Right. Um, it's kind of like a, a balancing act um, in you know the larger world of Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson, where J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson is a dick, but he sticks up for his journalists. So if you're a journalist for J. Jonah Jameson, he'll actually protect you and stuff like that. And that's kind of the deal with Ben yeah. Eric in the in the comic Jay- books. And wait, I- in this one, he works for the um, the New York Post because yeah. uh, Daily Bugle is owned by Sony, and this was produced by. Who produced Daredevil? Um, this is a Fox movie. Fox, yeah. This is a Fox movie. I will say, just brief sidebar, when I gave my Mount Rushmore of superheroes earlier, if you would ask me to give my Mount Rushmore of Marvel characters, J. J. Jonah Jameson might be number one above Spider-Man. He's the best. He's such yeah. a cool dude. Like, a, a great, actually morally complicated, you know, figure in, in these kids' books. Yeah, I could, I could, I could deal with that. Yeah, and that he's, he's such he's a good weird. person outside of this one weird blind spot, but also he publishes <laughs> he a top one. So he's like, he's that like damn the best Spider-Man. Version. He's ruining my city. He's <laughs> the best version of a shitty journalist. It's such an interesting character. Do we have anything else yeah. to say? Because Connor, do you have a game? I do. Do you have one? Because we, 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 if if we keep going at this pace, we're gonna literally run up against like file size limits for the episode. I only have like a few more things. I only have like yeah. a few more things I gotta say. Denise, do you have anything you want to say about Daredevil? Big picture. Uh, wait, the scene, the scene in the the scene in the bar. Colin Daryl, Colin Farrell actually hit bullseyes with the darts. Apparently. I think that's bullshit. Sounds that like sounds it. like a lie. I know. <laughs> I read that in a couple of interviews. That sounds like a lie. I would like to say I love that he doesn't speak in that scene. Yeah, but he's still verbal. Yeah. But he's still verbal, right? And this is what I'm saying about I think Colin is making weird choices as an actor that aren't necessarily being given to him. That he's given the scene where he doesn't talk, so he just kind of growls and murmurs the whole time. It just it makes yeah. it more exciting. Why yeah. does Bullseye get the stigmata when they're in? The I fridge? don't know. That's <laughs> the weirdest thing that happens in this movie. I think by far, he gets shot Why, in the I hands, and he's movie- like. You took my hands. I you want my oh, hands oh, from that, me. Oh yeah, because he gets yeah. shot by the sniper. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. right? But it's supposed but, to be bro, that's the stigmata. That's literally. I want this movie. I want this movie happened. to be more Catholicy, yeah. man. Like that's the big thing this movie is leaving on the table is really yeah. getting into the weird Catholic morass of it all. Because Catholicism is weird, right, guys? We can all say that. Well, yeah. one of the things that Frank Miller also did with the character Daredevil is he. Like the original inception of Daredevil, it's implied that the uh, radioactive isotope that heightened his other senses also heightened him physically so that he has like enhanced strength and enhanced speed and stuff like that. And And Frank Miller 
leveled that down yeah. to essentially make him a man with heightened senses, but not heightened physical strengths and abilities. And I think that movie would have been a lot more interesting because in this one, he clearly it, like can jump 30 feet in the air. Well, that's what like that. becomes of like the, the, the Netflix series in a way, yeah. you know? So, yeah. <laughs> It's I think that me... that type of like ground level superhero yeah. interacts a lot better with Catholicism and with yes. issues of well, spirituality and faith and vigilantism. I'm, and, I'm all I'm actually I'm gonna disagree with you on that because I think you're right about the ground the ground thing. But there are bits in this movie where he basically jumps off skyscrapers and lands on the on the street and is totally fine. And here's the thing: if you want to make a wuxia movie, make a wuxia movie, right? Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. And, and if you want to make a Wusha movie, I think if you make something so heightened and balletic and hyper stylized where the laws of physics don't even exist, I also think you can like get into the weird religious stuff if you do that. If you're kind yeah, of definitely. just doing and a like, lot of those movies do, yeah, just not with Catholicism, exactly. a lot of those movies are religious, yeah, but you got to do one or the other. Doing something like this, where it's like eh, kind of matrixy, kind of crouching tigery, like two percent of it. You don't get the appeal of that. You also don't get the appeal of him like kicking someone's ass in a back alley. Yeah. Right. Um, it's too. It's too 2003 music video. Yeah. yeah you, wrong... never, you never feel that he's guilty in any regards. No. You know, like maybe touch upon a little, but he's straight up like killing people. Yeah. But you know, he's seeking. That's his character arc. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's, it's his character arc is him deciding not to kill people anymore. There, at the end of the movie, there's a comic book writer and critic named Chris Sims, uh, who used to write for the defunct comic book blog Comics Alliance, which used to be a really good comic blog. Um, and he said something once that has always stuck with me, where he was talking about this sort of tension of superheroes killing in movies, right? This was this was before the MCU had really taken off, um, but the thing that he said that always stuck with me is like kill all the time in the MCU. Yeah, they're constantly killing. He said superheroes don't kill in comic books because comic books are functionally for children, right? But heroes in action movies often do kill because those are movies for teenagers and adults, and that's just the various like levels of violence that we culturally have just formed in these two modes but when you bring the superhero characters to the action movie template then all of a sudden you have this accidental tension about the killing that doesn't exist in either of the two forms and the movies at least when he was saying he was like they've never really figured out how to square this circle and this is the most interesting version of it because it does seem like it's kind of trying to think about it but it's treated so callously that it never lands. Yeah. So he's but just pushing dudes in front of trains and you're like, am I supposed to feel a way about this? And the movie's like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That scene is taken straight from a scene in the comic book where Bullseye's going crazy and yeah. because of his brain tumor and he thinks everybody is Daredevil. So Bullseye's literally like killing random people walking down the street because he thinks they're all Daredevil. Um, and Daredevil chases him into a subway and that's when his senses go all crazy because it within the subway he can't yeah. really like locate anything uh, and in that one Bullseye falls onto the track and Daredevil pulls him off the track Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly yeah. the, the sort of tension vis-a-vis -vis the killing thing that makes sense in the lineage of superhero comics where there is this like 
this history and this sense of we're exploring these boundaries that at one point were codified. Yeah. That kind of gets lost when you bring it to the screen. Yeah. And you're in the lineage of, we want to see John McClane gun down 20 people, which is fine, but that's not who these characters are. And you kind of just love for the movie that doesn't do anything with anything. Yeah. The, the arrow television series actually like accidentally did this better because in the first season of arrow, he's killing people all the time. And I, from my understanding, it was a character who was always supposed to kill the bad guy because they were trying to make it more situated within the real world. And then at the end of the first season, his best friend dies. And there's something about his best friend dying turns him to not kill people anymore. And it actually has like a bit of an emotional payoff as much as you can get on a pretty run down the middle CW television series. I and it watched... pays off better in a better way than this. Man, I watched series. like half that first season. And then it just fell off. I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. I just didn't have the time to keep watching it. I never watched any of the other ones. I remember it being pretty good until you get like when when it's running concurrently with like the first two seasons of The Flash. And then after that, they have like Legends of Tomorrow and they're just adding stuff to it. Like one row after the next. And they just are running out of things to do without introducing Batman and the Joker and Harley Quinn and all of those characters that they're saving for the big screen. And it just gets so like I, I just lost interest because they're also 24. It's also old television. It's yeah. not new. It's not new streaming service miniseries style television. So it's low budget, yeah. 42 minute episodes, 24 times a These season. These are stories yeah. from newsprint, Connor. Like let them be low budget. No, but I no no, no. I, it's not the low budget that bothers me. It's the fact that you have to watch 24 episodes that are all 42 minutes long, where you can read one comic book issue in like 15 minutes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. Uh, do we have anything else to say about Daredevil, Sanish? You know any, so, anything we, like, that you wanted to say that we didn't touch on? <laughs> I feel like we kind of tapped it dry at this point. It's it, There's not a whole lot to this movie. Let's just go yes or no. Do you like Michael Clark Duncan in this movie? Like I, like I said earlier, I, do I think he's doing that much? No. no. Is he just a good enough actor that he's kind of like having a good time? Yeah. yeah. Does he look it. great on camera? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, he definitely. 100%. He, I love Very it. That, yeah. One, he gained 40 pounds, apparently, to be the kingpin. I mean, he, he was never, like, if you watch him in Green Mile, he, he has abs. He's not, yeah. like, fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is, I just, I, I love it when Daredevil kicks him in the knees, and he just screams. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> just I, like, want, I want more of him. I want more of Bullseye. I maybe want yeah. less of Electra, even if I do like what Jennifer Garner's doing. My second question yesterday, do you like the Electra movie? Never seen it. Uh, I hate it. It's I, it no, not, it was bad. no amount of money you could pay me. It's a it lot worse not. than this movie. Yeah, it is way worse. It's so bad. Apparently, he uh, Affleck makes a, uh, an appearance in the director's cut of that film. I is saw it that the director's too. cut, or is it? I think it might only be like a deleted scene on the disc or something. Oh, uh, it could be. It's yeah. one, one or the other. He's, the but other. he was cut out of it, which is weird. You would want him in that movie. I guess, yeah. well, that's what I'm saying. Two years later, his career is so bad that they cut him out of Electra. He says yeah, this... in the interview with Bill Simmons that the only reason he, the only reason he, he direct, started directing was because he was basically saying, I cannot get a job yeah. unless I move behind the camera. Yeah. yeah. Man, this whole movie really does feel like they were setting everything up for a sequel that just never happened. Yeah. They even tease us with Bullseye coming back. 
<laughs> it's like you were saying, Zeus, that they want they want more bullseye. And yeah, that was probably that was actually like an interesting sort of post-credit scene. Yeah. Just like him it's killing a, that fly. It's also an early post-credit scene. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was just really cool. It sort of started. Well, it it's not the first, but I don't no. remember what the first was. But it might be the of, first one in a superhero. But for movie. for the but but I'm saying in terms of like the superhero movie sequel tease post-credit scene. Yeah. I do it, think it's the first. Yeah, it might be. Cause the first one in an X-Men movie is in Last Stand. Um, oh, when he's at the... The like Spider-Mans chest, don't have yeah. them. The Batmans don't have them. The Supermans don't have them. So I do think this is the first tease post credit scene. They don't do it in Pirates till 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, Connor, you got a game? Yeah. Do, wait, do you have one? No. Okay. Sorry. I've, I've been I've been sick all week and I've been barely getting any sleep, gang. I'm sorry if I sound like shit on this episode. Yeah, we had to do. The, I just accepted a new job. I've been working sixty hour. It's it's barely, not. So, yeah, it, I mean, Connor, truly, it's not that. It's that I've been also incredibly busy for the past two weeks and I got sick. So I'm, I'm just a rundown clock. Um, uh, what's your game? Okay, we're back Sydney's at another. We're back Feel at a free list. to play along as well. Yeah, okay. we're back at a list. Yep. This one is from our friends at Watch Mojo again. God, fuck Watch Mojo. Oh, we're moving backwards in time, and I think this one was released in night in in a uh, 2019, and it is the top 10 movie lawyers. Okay, something that we have not really talked about at all. So, <laughs> my boy, Mount Mount Rushmore canon, right? Tom Cruise, few good men. Yes, he is uh, number five. Daniel Caffey. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, number five. So Atticus Finch has to be number one. Atticus Finch is number one. To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. Is Jimmy Stewart and Anatomy of a Murder on there? No. All right. Speaking of Ben Affleck, Witness for the Prosecution. Such a fun Charles Lawton performance. No. He also plays a lawyer in Changing Lanes. With, uh, oh, Ben, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the original witness isn't on there. Witness for prosecution. No. Dang. All right, can I get what? Can you give me some hints for the rest of the yeah, top? Yeah, I think uh, one one of them will 100% be on the New, the New Jersey Wall of Fame if we ever cover them. Um, a great a great friend of Ben Affleck is on the list. Uh, a director of a film we've. When, a, when did Matt uh, Damon play a lawyer? It's like the most boring is uh what's his face Vinny Gambini from my cousin Vinny. Oh yeah, yeah. that's my boy. Is Vinny he... Gambini's number two. Number two, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what's a you know what's a great movie? It's fucking my cousin Vinny. My cousin my... Vinny. <laughs> also, um, apparently, like the most legally accurate courtroom movie ever made. That's what yeah, people Langston... say. That's what lawyers say about that movie. Langston said they taught it in law school. I have heard people yeah. say they teach it in law school because apparently it's understanding of like court procedures is bulletproof. And Tomei is just ugh, gives like the best performance anyone's ever given. Langston, uh, uh, Sinesh, Cole and I have a friend named Langston who watched over 900 movies last year. He also has a law degree. He's like the one <laughs> person who watches more movies than me. Yes. Um, he's the one person who watches more movies than me and is more of a night owl than me. 
Yeah, wow. he'll literally he'll literally watch movies from seven p.m. to like six in the morning. Yeah. yeah, um, great dude. He should come. We should we got we gotta like strong arm him into coming on the show. I know, I know. Um, okay, Rainmaker. Yes, Rainmaker. The most is on boring there. movie ever made. Number nine. And That's then you said, Matt Damon, by the way, for yep. people who don't know, Francis Ford uh, Coppola directed it. Don't watch it. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you know the story about Steven Spielberg getting mad at the Rainmaker? No. Steven Spielberg cast Damon in Saving Private Ryan before the Rainmaker and Goodwill Hunting. And he was apparently furious that oh, because his, he's like, supposed to be a nobody. That, that yeah. instead of being a nobody, he got got. And now he was going to be a big star in this movie. Um, and then you said a director we talked about. On this There's actually two of them, two directors we've talked about. There's only one more movie in the top five. Uh, I, this is top 10. Sorry. Oh. Rainmaker, Rainmaker is number nine. Okay. Yeah. Kevin Smith hasn't made a movie about a direct a lawyer. Feature. Not on this episode, just like overall on the podcast. Oh, oh yeah. so Primal Fear, Primal Fear. Yeah, Primal Fear, Good. Martin Vale is number 10. That's Richard Gere. Yeah. Can we just clear out the top five? Because Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you're going to get them, if you're going to guess the ones that are in the top 10. Um, okay, yeah. so you have yeah. number five, which is Few Good yeah. Men. You have number two, which is My Cousin Vinny. And number one is To Kill a Mockingbird. So you have number four and number three. Um, number three is from 1993. And number four is from the year 2000. So, the oh, Aaron Brockovich in The Firm. Aaron Brockovich is number four. Yep. The firm is not number three. Whoa. Yeah. Um, what's his face? Um, this is an Academy Award winning performance. Oh, never mind. In '93. Yeah. In '93. Never mind. Uh, no, because Denzel's. Well, okay, yeah, he is technically a lawyer. He's just never behaving <laughs> yeah. like a lawyer. I'm actually going to object because the whole premise of this movie is that he's not a lawyer anymore. He's still a it's, lawyer. He's. It's not. No, he gets employed. fired. Yeah, no, but Hanks. that doesn't make it's you Hanks. not a lawyer anymore. It's like Hanks Langston is a lawyer, even though Langston yeah. isn't going to court. Uh, yes, sure Tom Hanks agree with in, you on that. I'm not sure Langston would agree with you on that. Um, no, Langston is a lawyer. Right? Yeah. Uh, but for people I, who, who didn't get it, uh, number three is Andrew Beckett from uh, Philadelphia. Can Beckett. I have I ever given you my hot take on Philadelphia? I think you have. Uh, I'll just say it for the listeners. Yeah, Tom Hanks is very good. It's a very lovely little performance in Philadelphia. That might be Denzel Washington's best performance of his entire career. Denzel Washington is insane in Philadelphia. He should have won. That's an inc- extraordinarily layered performance. Yeah, it's hard to say about a man who's given every movie the know. best performance ever. Yeah. I yeah. know, <laughs> but I think about it a lot. I think about Denzel a lot. <laughs> don't we all <laughs> Sanish do you have to go no 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 I, saw, I, mean, I, I looked at you were saying five minutes to somebody um, oh yeah no no no, no worries so um, that's the that rounds out the top five yeah you have um you already guessed Martin Vale uh, for Prime Fury which is number 10 and Drake Jake Brigant. oh I don't even know who Jake Brigant is okay cool you guessed uh uh Dex Shiflet from the Raymaker number nine can so I guess can, I guess, Jake Brig- can yeah. I guess Jake Brigant from that one famous movie <laughs> Can you guess the movie? No. It's a director we've talked about. Just tell me. Director we've talked about twice. And this podcast? Oh, so yeah. is it, is that the client or is that a time to kill? Hey man, just what's, who's the bigger movie star? That's named it's, Jake. It's McConaughey. Is it McConaughey? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's McConaughey and a time to kill. 
This is just very disrespectful to Jimmy Stewart and Anatomy of a Murder. <laughs> They're all the oldest I know film on this watch list. Mojo. The oldest film on this list is to um to kill Mockingbird. Uh, to kill Mockingbird. Yeah. Uh, is Pacino in? Uh... No. Well, they disrespected Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. Could you oh, imagine is it Liar if? Liar? Uh... Is it Liar Liar? No, it's not. No, no, it's not. It Could you imagine like if Pacino, um, if uh, Frank Slade was Daredevil? Ooh-ah. <laughs> 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 That'd be cool. Ooh-ah. <laughs> No, that's the one Pacino impression you get to do he on this could entire... Smell, he could smell the women, you know? He could smell the <laughs> scent of the women. Um, I don't think I can get the last two. I think okay, my brain one is of, fried. I'm sorry. One of them is from 1998. I haven't seen this movie. The other one is from 1982. It's civil a, Action. Uh, civil Action. Civil Action. With yeah, Travolta. Civil Action is from 1998. Shout out Jeff and um, Stewart. The one from 1992 is a... Uh, and it's not a few good men. No, nineteen eighty-two. Oh, eighty-two. Officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Isn't he a lawyer no. and officer? And... It's written by a historic playwright. The. Oh, the verdict. Yes. Yes. That's the best one. That should be number one. That movie's. In... Oh my god, I love that movie. That's that's a pretty great movie. That's an incredible movie. It's too bad the man is yeah. slowly like losing it in the public. Let's talk about Tim and Mamet. Uh, here are the uh, uh, honorable mentions: um, Roger Sherman Baldwin, Baldwin from Amistad, Elle Woods sure. from Legally Blonde, kind of crazy. Sure. She's not on the list. Yeah. Um, well, Watch, Watch Mojo is also very boy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. I get what you're saying. Mitch McDear from The Firm is honorable mention. Uh, Fred Gailey from Miracle on 34th Street. Fletcher sure. Reed from Liar Liar. Yeah. Paul <laughs> Paul Beegler from Anatomy of a Murder, and Mickey Holler, the Lincoln lawyer. You know what movie yeah. rules? The Lincoln Lawyer. The Lincoln Lawyer. <laughs> Are we? We're gonna do McConaughey uh, at some point. Well, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. Could we? Like, is Ben Affleck? Is his filmography deserving of doing a miniseries? I'll talk or... to you off, Mike. But I, I actually, I don't think we can do that for reasons. I'll talk to you off. Mike. All right. Um, um, this movie made seventy, or it made one hundred and ninety-two. 90, it made $179.2 million at the box office. It cost $78 million to make. Probably made a little bit of money back. As, as we've been saying in the last two weeks, this is this like three-month window where three Colin Farrell movies come out. And they yeah. all do pretty good. Even if this, and this is probably the one that does the worst all told because everyone hates it. Uh, but he also kind of walks out of this as the one bright spot, right? Yeah. Like he this gets one good notices. Count, this one doesn't count towards the Colin Farrell. Uh, the, total, the totals. Because yeah. he's not the lead of it. But I think, I think right now, now we have caught up to phone booth, yeah. right? Yeah. He is in the dream spot and he's about to have the Affleck run where it's about to burn out for him. And I'm really is, interested yeah. in doing that. Even if we have to talk about fucking Alexander, okay, but we get to talk be... about SN... we get to talk about SNL before. We Why couldn't he be in a good Oliver Stone movie? Well, here's the deal with him: is like he works with these directors, but he works in what's not their good film. You know, now 
Yeah. Yes. No, like at this point in his career, at this point yeah. in his career, he's working with directors who have made good films, but he's working on the film that's not necessarily the good one. Yes. Yeah. Except for Schumacher, his boy Schumacher. Except for Schumacher Which, when he's in three of Schumacher's best films of his You know career. what we're doing next yeah. week? Veronica Gary. We're finishing the Schumacher trilogy, baby. Okay. Uh, um, do we have anything else left to say? Just that Evan F- Evanescence uh, won oh. best hard rock performance at the 46 Grammy Awards for Bring Me to Life. Uh, and it was nominated I for best think... rock song. And it debuted in this movie. Like, yeah, people didn't this know who movie Evanescence broke was. Evanescence. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think the cultural memory is that this, this song, Bring Me to Life, is in uh, this movie. But Bring Me to Life is the song from this movie. This is where it was first released on the soundtrack in the movie. Evanescence was not getting radio play. They had been around for seven years. This is off their first album. They could not get radio play because of their weird sound of like lilting female vocals, lots of piano and fucking new metal breakdowns until that song hits in this movie. And that song makes Evanescence like quietly one of the bands of their generation. Yes, they right. were nominated for Best New Artist at the 2003 MTV uh, wow. Music yeah. Video Awards. There, there, there is an argument to be made that, like, this is the best use of a song, an original <laughs> song in a movie, in a commercial and cultural impact sense. Like, and, like, think, a non-musical movie. Yeah, I think yeah. there is, a, and, and it kind of gets erased because no one likes this movie, and I think that song is so much more iconic than this movie, but... It's not fucking Hero by Chad Kroger and the other guy, right? <laughs> it's also, it's a weird- This is quietly it's a, a new song, metal podcast. It's a song that dates this moment in history yeah. so clearly. I, um, that's the other thing I want to say. It is so interesting that this is such a new metal ass like yeah. um, soundtrack, which obviously feels like the response to Spider-Man having a butt rock ass soundtrack. But most of the songs in the Spider-Man soundtrack are in the movie. And this thing is fucking wall-to-wall new metal, right? Yeah. Every scene, there's a new song scoring it. Like, he turn- in the beginning of the movie, when he wakes up and he turns the music on really loud to, like, yeah. block out the noise of the song. Yeah. I, I really like in this movie when he's it, when he's the kid in the flashback and he wakes up in the hospital bed and it, he, to him, it feels like the cars are about to run him over because they're sure. so loud. Yeah. I can't part. imagine how scary that must be for somebody who's going through that, even though it's a thing that doesn't exist in real life. Um. Like, I like how the film handles that. And in the director's cut, they explain why he sleeps in that kind of sound deprivation tank. Because as he's going to sleep the night after he kills Jose Casada, he's like slowly getting into the tank and he can hear a woman getting attacked, but he doesn't know where she is in the city. And it's clear that it's like this man cannot find peace without blocking out all the noise because all he hears mm-hmm. is these horrible things that's happening in the world around him. Interesting. Um, which is like an interesting thing that they just could, could easily. The, it's only two hours and fifteen minutes long. The director. Like, why did you have to cut all this stuff out of the movie? It's only two hours. Because and 15 it minutes used long. it used to be it used to be a very common belief that movies should be shorter. Movies means more screen like shows. It's just so crazy. How do you like, feel about him have biting the Vicodin, crunching it with his teeth? Yeah, that was so like, weird, man. I don't necessarily. Like thinking about like the casual drug stuff with either Ben Affleck or Colin Farrell. Yeah. Two two well, people who've had addiction issues in real life, you know. Here's the deal with that that bothers me. If have you ever like bit like an Advil? No. 
You know how gross that shit it's tastes? It's disgusting. So this is a man with heightened taste. He's biting like <laughs> I never thought about that actually. Oh my god, that's yeah. right. <laughs> people people do chew Vicodin. Like I know. I'm just gonna I say they that. do yeah. do that. That's kind of a, a thing. It's a striking shot. Yeah. Visually, it looks right. really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The way he chews it is what kind of sort yeah. of captivates me, honestly. All right. We are we are running into maybe having issues with file size here. So um, it's not we we haven't been going. I think we started later than you think. Maybe. Yeah. Um it's not gonna be longer than phone booth unless it might be longer than phone booth. Yeah. Sadis, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having so me. So much fun. This is you, insightful uh, for me. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug? You a pluggy person? I'm not. It's uh-huh. okay. Uh, Random acts no. of flyness. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Check out the the shows I've been a part of. No, not really. Like even if I wanted to plug them, it's like whatever. Like the things we've worked on, Connor, are kind of really mainstream. It's like they don't need to be plugged in at all. People will check them out. You know, Mister Mrs. Smith reboot. Sure. Um, I evil. We've I also guess. had like zero part in that. Yeah, game, like very you know very small yeah. parts. So like whatever you know, people say we keep the sets safe, but it's like you know, do we really? <laughs> Not really. We we preemptively give people foresight into like how to navigate production in a way, and that's the most fanciful way you can say what we did. You know, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much it. But no, no. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. You know, I feel like I learned more about this movie than I should, than anyone really <laughs> should. Um. And like, if anyone, like all the listeners, like, I hope you like, honestly, I have more of an appreciation for Daredevil now, not, not in the sense of like, this movie is better, but more like, okay, here's this timestamp in history for Ben Affleck and Colin Farrell. And it's kind of cool to look at it that way. Yeah. Again, I had an audible reaction to Electra putting the umbrella up while the rain was hitting her. (laughs) There's good shots isolated in this movie. But yeah. that moment, the yeah. thing that made the thing that made me immediately be like, I can't believe I'm doing this, is because that moment, it it, the moment that precedes it is her being like, I want revenge, yeah. and <laughs> and and Matt Murdock saying it's not worth it. I've already been there. It's yeah. not American Outlaws. It's not American Outlaws. It's, it's not American Outlaws. Outlaws. Is it better than the Recruit? No. I like the Recruit a little bit more than you do. Let's just not talk about honestly, ordinary decent criminal. Honestly, I was gonna say it might not be yeah. as good as ordinary decent criminal. <laughs> don't, I think I, I enjoyed it more than me. ordinary. De- I think I had a better time watching uh, it. Right. Um, one last thing I want to say is that Electra in the comic books, I think she's also a lost student. So yeah, her father dies. Her father is the ambassador from Greece in the comics, and he dies during a terrorist a terrorism attack um and he's he's actually shot in a friendly fire moment by like an american swat team member with a sniper rifle almost similarly to the way that bullseye shot at the end of this movie and it it's presented that the reason she becomes a lecturer is because she no longer believes in the rule of law she she no longer has any kind of value system to um applied towards life and that's why she becomes a mercenary and in this one her her turn towards like I'm gonna track somebody down with these size is pretty crazy when you're thinking about it. Yeah. Like her father's no, killed movie, by an assassin. If you think like, about this movie too hard, it does nothing makes sense. Yeah. If you think about this movie a little bit, 
it shatters completely underneath yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening. Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? Yeah, you can follow us at, at above the title pod. I again I've been working like crazy, so I haven't posted anything new. Hopefully I'll post stuff this upcoming week. Sinesh, you want to drop socials? Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to sort of follow my production company, yeah, I haven't posted a little bit just because life's been crazy. It's at the underscore golden cut. If you want to follow me personally, feel free. It's at Sanishi, S-A-N-E-E-S-H-I-E. I tend to post more of my personal film journey on that, sort of uh, what I've been going on. Hopefully, for me, personal plug real quick, I'm hoping to finish this um the first draft of my of a feature that I'm writing it would be oh, the yeah. first feature script that I've written since college it's sort of been on my to-do list for a while it's just been crazy with work but I don't really have excuses now so yeah that's me follow me if you want and you know I yeah. hopefully will entertain you uh you can follow me on twitter at your tug, tugboat captain that's c-a-p-n uh I don't promise to entertain you whatsoever uh I'd say please vote for Park Chan, welcome Blank Check Marks Madness, but that'll be long over by the time anyone listens to this. Uh, do the rate, review, subscribe thing. Apparently it helps. And we will be back next week with Veronica Guerin. I believe the only cameo appearance Colin has ever made in his career. Until then, fuck Ike Perlman.